everybody, and welcome back to Season 7 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matthew Stockton. You were jealous, you had a fight, he fell, he hit his head, it was an accident, but his girl has a witness, so you had to shut her up. So you don't have the guts to harm her yourself, but you got the sequelizers to keep your mouth shut, yes or no? <laughs> uh, not happy with that one, but I did it. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to go for something else, but we'll talk about it in a minute. But before we get to talking about other stuff, also joining us, as always, it's Tim Atom. What are you doing? You're sequelizing like a Chinaman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was my backup one. That, so I'm glad I, didn't go. I wonder if you were going to go for uh, like pretending to slap us and going, Matthew, Timothy, Matthew, <laughs> Timothy, Matthew, Timothy. I, again, I had considered like the... It's both. It's the sequelizers. <laughs> <laughs> He's my sister and a sequelizer. <laughs> my daughter, a sequelizer. My daughter, a sequelizer. <laughs> oh, God. Um, if you haven't really picked up on those bizarre quotes, ladies and gentlemen, this episode we're fixing a film I didn't know existed until Matt brought it up for the show. <laughs> and then when I looked at it, I didn't even know it was a sequel to the thing that it's a sequel to until I went and looked it up. And that's something we need to talk about. Oh, yeah. In this episode, we're talking about... 1990s, the year of my birth, as mentioned in TMNT. The Two Jakes, the sequel to the classic 1974 Chinatown. But before we get to talking about Chinatown, Two Jakes, Jack Nicholson, how many times you need to slap a woman before she admits incest, because that's a weird scene in the first <laughs> so film. Weird. So weird. It made me so uncomfortable watching it. But what doesn't make me uncomfortable is Patreon. Patreon.com slash sequelizers. If you want to go and support us, you can do so for as little as £3 a month. You can get early access and ad-free episodes, or you can even go right up through and get merch, exclusive t-shirts, discounts on other merch, posters included, extra bonus content, all that cool stuff, voting on episodes as well. And if you go really high to the top executive tiers the top two tiers, you might just become an executive producer. And ladies and gentlemen, you might know some of them already. We've already mentioned the rest of them throughout the season, but we have a man who's stuck around. He's still here. Two episodes in a row. That's right. The new, the latest of the members of the executive producer is Tyler Rogers, ladies and gentlemen. Who is she? And don't give me that crap about your sister because you don't have a sister. Thank you, Tyler, for your support. It's nice to have you on board. We very much appreciate it. And of course, and probably by now, listeners, you know the other three gentlemen who are the executive producers. The one, the only, Jonathan Firth Clark. She's my daughter. I said I want the truth. And, of course, none other than Stuart Maine. She's my daughter. My sister, my daughter. And last, but certainly not least, the man who has the pick for the season finale of this season, ladies and gentlemen. We've been hyping up, we've been building up. Most of you already know what it is. If you've been on the Discord or you've ever spoken to this man, either in person <laughs> or on social media, you probably know what it is. The man who's picked the season finale. It's Mike Salvia. She's my sister and my daughter. So, talking of the two Jakes, as I said, I didn't know this film existed until you, you brought it up in the master list of sequels. And even then, <laughs> I saw it on the list, and I was like, what the fuck is that? I've never even heard what's, of it. What's the one Jake? <laughs> That's like the, who's, who's the one Jake, let alone the two Jakes? Like, what is this? And I saw, like, 
Okay, the sequel to China. Right, I've heard of Chinatown. I'm aware that Chinatown is considered a classic. Still, hadn't seen it until preparing for this episode and stuff. Sure. And I was like, why is it called the Two Jenks then? What's that got to do with any terrible fucking sequel? How could they possibly market a sequel to Chinatown? Like, yeah, it's the Two Jakes, right? Okay. That's like, I don't know, the Dark Knight Rises just being called like Bruce and Pals. Like, what? <laughs> what? No. What are you doing? No, it's a terrible fucking idea. And spoilers, gentlemen, I'm the one that's fixing the, this episode. Mm. And we'll address that. I've, I've changed the title, just letting you know, because that fucking title is terrible. But as I like to do... Matt, I'm guessing you saw these films. You've seen these films before, but you can't have seen either of them. You'd be too young to see either of them at the cinema, right? So you correct, can't have correct. seen them on release. I wasn't born when the first one came out, yeah. and the second one, I was only six. Yeah, Chinatown is 1974, and The Two Dicks is 1990. So, yeah. yeah. So what was your what was your first experience with Chinatown? Did you see them, like... Because, again, they were both out, so did you see them, like, back-to-back? Did you see Chinatown, mm-hmm. then years later, Two Jakes? What's your kind of experience with the two? Um, so I saw Chinatown in one of those classic things that a lot of film fans do. This isn't, by the way, a good confession. Um, it's a, <laughs> it never it's is with you, confession. Matt. It never is. No, that's true. I'm Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> All I have to confess is bad things. Just like Damien. <laughs> <laughs> so classically, when you're... We mentioned this on the show before, I think, possibly. When you're getting into film, like really getting mm. into film, you tend to go, oh, this actor is great. I want to watch everything this actor's ever done. That's that's inherently how it goes. Then you go, oh no, I must love cinema more than I think I do. I know, I'm going to work through like the IMDB top 250. Right, and yeah, back yeah. in like the early 2000s, like 2001 and two that was only starting to get a big thing. It was only just rumbling out of nowhere. So this, that, that, there was a definitive list. But more importantly, from my point of view, I have, and I still have upstairs, the Hallowell's Guides and the Moulton Critic things. And I would go through those books and like, right, I need to see these films, the iconic films as, you know, dictated by an old man um, <laughs> <laughs> um, based on everything that's, you know, uh, released up until 1997 at that point. <clears throat> that's just how you do it. So um, inherently you get through the list and like, right, first thing you need to watch Citizen Kane. Okay, I'll watch Citizen Kane. And then the thing is, once you watch five or six of these iconic classics, you go, fuck, these are really good. And I'm starting to appreciate cinema a lot more than I thought. Mm. So I started to get uh, one of the actors, I still think one of my favorite actors is James Dean. And um, I mentioned this in a, in a, Patreon exclusive, I believe, and it's the idea that um, you start to you start to appreciate older films because you have found them yourself as well. If it's introduced you, you have a really good connection, like Jack does a lot of the time. If you find yourself, you go, "Oh, I've done something special now. I've gone and found. Oh my, I watched it on my own. Whatever." Chinatown is on everyone's lists of those sorts of things. Like you have to watch it, and I was very confused to start with because I love noir stuff. But I, I, for some reason, in my my late teens, I thought I don't understand. It's it's a seventies movie, but it's noir. Because iconically, in your head, you think, but it can be from a certain era, surely. Yeah, yeah. Um, not sure what neo-noir is, all those different things that come out of it, and so on and so forth. But I was drawn in very quickly, despite the fact that it seemed quite dull. And by the end of the film, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Didn't It wasn't overly convoluted. It was very clear. There's some huge people I didn't realize were even actors in the first place, like John Huston. Yeah, um, I didn't put together. I saw John Huston in this, and I was mm. like, Wait, is that the same John Huston who's like, directed the Maltese Falcon and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. One of the most iconic, if not maybe the most iconic mm. noir film director. I was like, oh, mm. so it is. Yeah, shit. Yeah. And uh, good old pals of Wilson Wells. Um, yeah, and exactly. I was such a fucking weird personality as well for that guy. And uh, father of Angelica Houston and, and John Houston things. No, not John Houston. And uh, Danny Houston, I should say. Sorry, my apologies. Anyway, so, so, so you absorb that, that, you move on to the next one. And then, as most people do, you get about... I don't know, 10 years later or something. And at that point, I'm in my mid to late 20s. And it's like, did you know there was a sequel to Chinatown? 
like there's a prequel to Butch, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. Like, I like both those films a lot. <laughs> I've never heard which of Which we nearly like, put in prequelizers, didn't we? We talked about that. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Almost. And so subsequently, I, was, I just sought it out, watched The Two Jakes, and I won't go too much into it just yet. I understood it. I could see what they were doing. Mm. I didn't really care for it too much. Okay. I thought, this is yeah. fine. I think there's a big problem that it's a sequel to an all-time classic. What many this people consider a the yeah. perfect movie, the best screenplay that's ever been written, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Like a lot of people consider the the Chinatown as like script as one of the best, tightest, most perfectly executed scripts ever written. And then you follow it up 16 years later, you got a lot of pressure. And mm-hmm. as we'll talk about in a second, there's a lot of development bullshit yeah. and hell that it goes through. But before we get into so all I had that, a big distance yeah. between the two is the answer. Basically, uh, I, I it was a long time for me to process and love Chinatown. And again, that, that's almost kind of interesting in a way because that would be what most audience members would have had. Yes. That 10, 14 yeah. year gap. Whereas, Whereas I see you guys, my experience, I, I watch them back to back. As I said, I, I, for this season, I've tended to watch them back to back. Sure, maybe not literally like all three Turtles movies back to back to back, but I've watched hmm, but all, a couple of, days all of them. Yeah. yeah, over a twenty-four hour period usually. I'll typically mm. watch like one um, lunchtime in a week on a Saturday, and then I watch the next one on the Sunday or whatever it is. Have or, a poo. Yeah, a twelve-hour poo, and then come back, and then yeah, <laughs> as I do. Yeah. So my experience is very different to that. Obviously, saw them both in twenty twenty within a day yep. of each other and as we'll get on to that i think that i think that affects your judgment of those films tim over to you what was your experience with had you seen chinatown before had you seen the two jakes before what what was your kind of experience with the films before we got on to discussing them for sequelizers uh i i had not uh, i sort of uh yeah i mean uh, as much as i consider myself a film fan uh, there's a lot of of classic stuff that I have not seen, and Chinatown was one of those holes in 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 my viewing. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was interesting to kind of see it now and uh, knowing of its reputation uh, and knowing of some of the plot points and having seen you know some of the iconic images and stuff like that, and and then to actually kind of sit down and finally watch it. And I think much like you, I wasn't really aware of the two Jakes. I was four when it came out, and it's. It is kind of sunk without a trace. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, it's, what is it, it's 16 years between Chinatown and the yep. two Jakes. So it doesn't, it's not kind of mentioned in the same conversation uh, in a lot of ways because it had just, as much as Chinatown is considered a great, it isn't the kind of thing where you look at it and go, oh, that's a franchise starter. Mm. You know, it doesn't, you know, and I, I'm sure we'll get into this as we start talking kind of analysis and stuff like that. It is not a film that screams like, oh, this is a... This trilogy? Is, this is a trilogy, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the um, thing is, they wanted to make a trilogy, and yeah. my answer to this, and unfortunately I did actually have to write a, a pitch, is don't fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> Leave Chinatown alone. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a yeah. perfectly encapsulated little thing by itself. You don't need more Jake Gittis. It's fine. It's an iconic character. Mm. I get it. And that's obviously why they brought him back. Like, mm. you need that Jack Nicholson magic in a bottle kind of performance and stuff, which mm. was a huge reason of why people love that film so much. Because I think mm. his performance is so central to both films. And, I mean, let's get into it with the two Jakes. He's mm. too important of the second film because he fucking directs <laughs> the thing. Yeah. And it just... Jake Gittes is just like the coolest shades wearing, shagging every woman he meets motherfucker in the world. A lot of golf in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and entirely too much golf. And it's just like, you're just Jack Nicholson now. You're just a Jack you're just a Jack. cool womanizing golf playing guy hanging out in Hollywood. You're no longer this like interesting, flawed, racist, misogynistic character from the first one. Mm. You're just like, yeah, a woman comes up to me, widow, banging her. 
you know, oh, I'll answer the phone first. Stay there. I'll bang you in a second. Let me just get this phone call. Like, I mean, I'm going to go straight into it. That sex scene is one of the weirdest things I've ever oh, it's weird. So bad. in my it's entire life. You're going to make me do it, aren't you? I was like, oh, just take the damn thing Just off. get on now your knees and put your ass in the air. I was like, put your ass in the air. I'll be this? with you in a minute. They're like, what? Yeah. And then she's what? like bending over backwards looking at it. it, it it's uh, okay. Noir <laughs> is ultimately about a handful of things, scandal and sex and risk and danger and death. And it's fantastic like that. And when you keep it to the confines of like code cinema, you're like, oh, it faded to black and it cut up again. Oh my god, they must have had sex. That's like like a dumb mm, yeah, That's yeah. a really bold thing. That's different from Jack Nicholson literally having a close up of him reaching into a fucking oh, it goes down the one butt cheek to the other. Uh, it's like uh, it's the most like crotch drying <laughs> moment in history. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Because bear in mind, Jack Nicholson is in his 50s at this point. Like, Jack Nicholson is 53. Obviously, the character of Jake also ages, but not mm-hmm. at the same rate, which is weird. So the second film is set 11 years after the first one, but it's yeah. 16 years in real life. So Jack Nicholson is extra old and haggard, <laughs> but still trying to be cool. And That's like, LA Detectives for you. Yeah, exactly. But then, but then Madeline Stowe, who is, is his... Uh, counterpoint mrs bodine in that in that scene mm. is like 20 something years younger, 21 years younger than him yeah and mm. then she's just like oh i can't help myself this kind of <laughs> bloated guy in his 50s <laughs> i tried to not say they were bloated but i couldn't think of anything else like as as a fellow fat man i was like i mean nicholson's you know he's he's unbelievably charismatic and cool and has that kind of star quality in in so many ways which is a classic thing from noir as well like you had those people that just invigorated and enriched the the experience when they're on screen Mm. but he he's just not cool in the second one he tries so hard to be why does he have a pair of like 1980s sunglasses in apparently 1948 it's so weird it's the classic thing of there's a there's a record of it and therefore he's the first person to own them sort of thing exactly like, oh, yeah about that yeah. it's hard uh, the, the two jakes is such an odd film mm-hmm. in so many ways and i think it feels so self-indulgent on oh, both very much so nicholson's part you know the fact that he's he's the star he's the director there's the, the film is so centered on him which i mean chinatown is centered on him but it doesn't feel in the same you know t- He's in every scene of Chinatown. It's it's kind of made subjectively in a lot of ways. Like when he gets knocked out, it fades out, and then he mm. gets back when he's but but they fucking love knock it out, Jake Gittis. My God, well, that's, that's a noir trope, you know. That's yeah. A trope, yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, gets, he's in an explosion, and he's just like, oh, I just better put some tissue up my nose. Like, yeah, when you exploded and you did a silly like cartoon front flip <laughs> for no fun. I hated that shot so much. That's yeah, so fucking does. stupid. After this film, first one takes itself really fucking seriously. The second one just has him like, whoa, like yeah. cartoon flip out of the way. Because I watched it and I was like, oh my God, they killed you. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. He's just died. Oh no, wait, he's doing a front flip. <laughs> what <the laughs> Power Rangers leaping. It really, the oh my, that is the perfect description. That's that is it. like that sparks is, flying is. from the chest. Ugh, like yeah. Power Rangers flipping off and then, oh, we need to regroup and fight the putties. Like, <laughs> that is perfect, Tim. Um, but yeah, it, it, and it feels self-indulgent on the part of, of Robert Town as well a little bit because mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. As, because Chinatown is held up as this iconic film, 
it feels like they've bought into the mythology a little bit too much because it's yeah. like it feels like you know they they thought they could get away with calling the film the two Jakes because everyone would go Jake well you must mean Jake Gittes the <laughs> the, the star of Chinatown I and couldn't third, agree more Tim well the said. third film was going to be called Gittes versus Gittes because it was yes, it was about yes. him getting a divorce and it's like these are terrible names and like as much as Chinatown is an iconic film and like the look of, of Jake Gittes with the, the bandage on the nose, like, but he isn't an iconic character, if that makes sense. Because He's not a silhouette thing where you can just silhouette him and go, ah, I know who that is exactly. Yeah, because I think in a lot of ways, like Jack Nicholson is one of those people who oftentimes you're not watching a performance, you're watching Jack Nicholson. Being and so, Jack Nicholson, yeah. So exactly. people just so people don't think of like, ah, oh, like Jake Gittes, what a character. They just think Jack Nicholson's great in that film. And it's the yeah, Denzel Washington mindset. Denzel's an amazing actor, but most of the time he plays Denzel. Yes. I'm not saying him the person, but the character he's created, he'll play that one. And he plays it fan-fucking-tastically. Yeah, it's like try, like, try and name some of Denzel's Washington's characters. Like, they don't... they don't. Yeah, the guy for the Manchurian Candidate. Um, yeah. <laughs> the one from the, uh, the other one, the dude from Training Day. Yeah, um, you, just, you just think of you it know, as Denzel. Denzel, yeah. That's yeah. Denzel, yeah. In the same way, Jack is Jack. Yeah. Um, in the same way, like, oh, well, you mean, uh, like, Jack Torrance? No, that's yeah. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> That's that Nicholson in a house. That's yeah, apparently they did. They didn't want to cast Je- uh, Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance because he's too Jack Nicholson. Stephen mm-hmm. King was like, "No, I am not having Jack Nicholson." He didn't what? want James Caan either. Yeah, he didn't want. Ja- yeah, he didn't want James Caan as well. Yeah, he's going to be too Jack Nicholson, and he's just going to take over the whole film. And they were like, "No, it's going to be fine." And then he kind of does. But again, The Shining is a bit of a masterpiece as well, so you can yeah, kind of kind of get away with it. I, I find it interesting because we talk about them being an indulgent film because it, it, you, you're entirely right. It is. But it was such a weird, troubled one. You don't really appreciate this going into it. I think the reason I've seen in the past a clip of Siskel and Ebert talking about it, and they both give it a positive review. Ebert really, really, really likes the two. I read his yeah. review, as I said, I do. You know, even especially when I'm doing the pitch. But even, yeah. even as much as I try to avoid the Rotten Tomato scores, I always try and yes. watch YouTube reviews or go and read Get the reviews and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. And Ebert gave it like four out of five or something like that. He really, really enjoys the two Jakes and said like a lot of people misunderstand it and it's much mm. better than a lot of people give it credit for. Yes. And to you, the late great Roger Ebert, I say fuck off. <laughs> the Two Jakes is not a good film. He's he's one man, one man's opinion. The, the thing that's interesting is, um, it, like anything, if you put yourself in the mindset of the time, 1989, Nicholson had just done The Joker. To great acclaim. Like, you made a silly role, serious and cool. In the same way that everybody doing The Joker seems to do a fucking job <laughs> of that, apparently. Even, like, you know, if people say, like, well, well, you know, Jared Leto didn't. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Everyone dressed up as for fucking Halloween. Fuck you, he did fine. They all he did had his the job. fucking, was it damn damage, damage tattoo, tattoo across the yeah, face and the it, gold they tooth. They did their thing. Fucking, so, even if it wasn't a good performance. And being brought back for fucking Justice League, apparently, and yeah. a huge integral part of it. So, anyway, Great. point is, the, the time, the 90s had a huge 30s nostalgia. And even then, that brought on then the, the bit of a noir nostalgia as well. And oh, just very briefly, about the title of the two Jakes and Giddies versus Gitties. You could have solved it by just calling it Chinatown, the two Jakes. Chinatown, Giddy's, Giddy's, Giddy's. Yeah, just put a code like, on the chi- there, Or yeah. Chinatown, yeah. Chi- a tale, Chinatown tale. It could yeah. probably, probably work, but not on mm. its own. Spoiler alert, my title has the word Chinatown in it. <laughs> clappy, clappy, <laughs> clappy <laughs> for you. <laughs> no, uh, so Chinatown is a weird one because, or oh, sorry, the two Jakes specific is a weird one because 
it was supposed to be Robert Town directing, I believe. Yes, it was. Um, in the 80s, like mid-80s. It was originally 86. supposed to come out, it was being worked on by, um, well, Nick, Nicholson was involved, mm. um, but Robert Evans had the rights to it, yes. and he was going to be... He was acting as well? He was going yes, to be Jake, Jake Berman, and he did a screen test hell. for it. Uh, they also wanted um, Dustin Hoffman at one point as well. Um, interesting. Yeah, Town wanted to have Dustin Hoffman, and mm. Evans wanted to cast himself because reasons, yeah. but then he refused to cut his hair to a 1940s yes. style because he'd yeah. recently had plastic surgery. And yes, he's he one of those people that kind of looks like a cat where it's, <laughs> it's gone a bit too far and his cheekbones are yeah. like halfway up to his, yeah, weird. Mm -hmm. um, and then they were like, well, you kind of need to look the part. And then he did a screen test and apparently he was unbearably bad and Jack Nicholson basically laughed him out of the building. Yep. And Nicholson did like, you know, face to face, like, you know, takes with him and stuff and said that he is, he, he no, he is not being in this film <laughs> under no circumstances. Listen, it was the 80s. There was a lot of cocaine in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. Robert Evans <laughs> did they, more than his fair share. Yeah. And they even had like, so Harvey Keitel is obviously the other Jake. He is the second Jake, Jake Berman mm. in, the, in the actual film. He had already been cast as a role in 1985. Yeah, Joe Pesci was in there as well. Kelly McGillis. Uh, Harrison Ford was in talks to be the other Jake at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what Harrison Ford film is it? There's a Harrison Ford film with Kelly McGillis in it, and mm. that's the film they ended up making with that team instead of the two Jakes that came out in 1985. I'm trying to think what it the was. The Witness? It's, it might be The Witness. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. And, Which is a really good film. Yeah, really good, really good. Um, mm. But it's this weird thing of like, it went through so many different versions and and they, they had to like scrap a bunch of sets at, like it got to, to the point of mm. very nearly filming and then collapsed and they had to like mm -hmm. they lost millions of dollars on it yeah yeah so a bunch of the crew hadn't been paid so they filed lawsuits against them against town evans nicholson like as a production trio mm. yes they had to pay all of their unpaid things and mm. also pay for the film that wasn't being made so Say, for example, they've spent six weeks setting up this set and stage and whatever. So a team of 100 people set up these all these stages and sets for six weeks, and the whole filming process is going to be another 12 weeks. I'm just pulling numbers out of my arse mm. here, obviously. No, I get it, yeah. So that's just, just for scale. And they were like, they sued them, one, and they had to pay them for the full 18-week shoot, even though they'd only worked for six weeks. And mm. then basically was like, well, all of our production budget is gone, so now we can't make the movie. What do we do? <laughs> and they were like, you don't make the movie. And eventually, even uh, Roy Scheider from episode yes. one of Sequelizers, from Jaw <laughs> originally from Jaws, um, he was also going to be in there for the second iteration. So it's going to be mm. Harrison Ford and Roy Scheider. They were going to get rid of Nicholson. It was a yeah. whole thing. Then Houston, John Houston was going to be brought in as director, um, mm -hmm. but Houston was quite ill at the time, and he yes, passes yes. away in 1987, I believe, like very oh, shortly yeah, afterwards. Yeah. That's why cross is not brought back for the sequel at all because you know you can't really cast recast that character when you've got he did yeah and and houston's performance is so you know like, so showing his own oh he's just drive. yeah the big old his cigar and stuff it's, like, it's, it's brilliant yeah. he's brilliant so yeah there's they originally planned to have him as director and again as i said he's an iconic noir director it totally makes sense we need to talk about Robert Town very briefly because he directed like Tequila Sunrise and you go, oh, okay, but as a writer specifically, yeah, yeah. that man has been involved in um, Bonnie and Clyde and The Godfather and he wrote Chinatown, he wrote The Akers, which is a great 1974 film. He did 
the firm and Days of Thunder and a ton of Tom Cruise ones. He did like Mission Impossible and two, one the first and two. two Mission Impossibles. Yeah, yeah. 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 He he, but he's a genuine accomplishment. So it's only was like a, a classic sequelizer fix. Who do you get to film this or the direct it? It's like give it give it to town. Mm. He's he's a good shout. Except a lot of shit went down, and that's why, for example, it's quite interesting. It's indulgent because just to to, to make a personal tangent, shall we say. Jack Nicholson is an interesting choice. I wouldn't say a bad choice. <laughs> He's an interesting choice, j- just in general from his his own experience and stuff, and the fact that uh, he has done a few films at that point. He's been, he's been directing since the seventies, technically, so he's he's been doing bits, but not really major. Uh, yeah, he's directed you know, like a handful. Bear in mind how long his small. career mm. his career spans back to like the mid fifties. He's, he's yeah, he's, he's like five six decades. He's, so well, yeah, he's no, directed seven like seven decades of films, three films in total, or something like that. Yeah. I think pretty much. So he's competent enough to be now in the industry. He knows his stuff. It's, it's, it sort of makes a bit of sense. But as somebody who's directed and acted at the same time, you have to either be incredibly um, upfront and vocal with your crew, or alternatively, you need to trust them like a motherfucker because you don't have the time to watch every single take back. You have to trust your cinematography. You have to trust the crew around you to get stuff. And I think there's so much of this movie that he's like, get this, get this, get this, or whatever. And Chinatown is made up of these really beautiful long takes on tripod that just hang for so long and so perfectly just two people talking and it just sits and it's framed magnificently and it's just like this is this is glorious two jakes has a lot of similar stuff and mm. tries to emulate it but it feels very flat by comparison and the performances aren't bad and again i can't stress enough robert town wrote both scripts yeah so you'd think they'd be there's a there's a scene in particular which much like the sex scene i, I kind of want to go into a little bit of a tangent about very quickly because it goes on too long and it's not really as urgent as should be has no real plausibility and it's like completely nonsense but it feels also quite important so at one point the cops pick up jake because he is in fact a, a, a private eye he's not a, a, a lawman as it were he's not in that same he's a detective a, a, a private detective sorry and obviously you know you have a little bit of like uh, clouts with the law and he's got his license to practice but he's not a, a cop and it's important to establish this because americans never talk about it and when you watch films as a kid you're like i don't understand why are the police angry with him <laughs> it's like because he's not a policeman but he's a detective different because um, anyway. they hint about him having experience in the police force and that's his mm. ties to chinatown and also yes. he's a war veteran from the first world war as well Precisely. they bring that up quite a lot in the in the first film and they talk about mm. you know yes how experienced he is and he's the right man for the job and that's why he's such a good mm-hmm. investigator and all this kind of stuff exactly so there's one scene where the cops take him in and say you've got to hand over this evidence this tape and he's like no i'm not gonna you're gonna wait you're gonna have me hand over the tape and then you decide if it's evidence no and that's a great fucking bit of like talk about corruption and shit because the whole point about these films and there's the return of some of the cops from the first one as well exactly you have tom waits is there yeah (laughs) yeah fucking tom waits is just tom waits i'm just gonna hang out lean up against his post and just not do anything for a while like why why is totally uncredited tom waits just hanging out in the corner so strange so the fact that it's all about because if you if the, if the trilogy had unfolded properly the first film was about water and corruption in los angeles mm, yeah, the second film about was about themes. oil and corruption in california the third one we were about as well as obviously a scandal and divorces in all of them but the third one was about the highway system and corruption in california mm. and it's all genuinely fascinating to people who are fascinated by that stuff but anyway so he's got the corrupt cop situation and, and it's all sort of flashbacks of chinatown that makes everyone uncomfortable at which point he insults this this kid of a previous cop from the other film who then punches him and then he pulls a gun on him and then, sorry like, yeah. the cop pulls a gun on Jake he's like well this is fucking stepped yeah. up and then he's like wrestling with him and the cop's like oh and bit ruckus goes on firing the gun into the floor a few times and then Jake takes the government and he says suck it suck it <laughs> suck it and he goes like go on and like, he puts the pistol in his mouth the, 30, the 35 as well and um, makes him like oh 
and then he says a few and, things and obviously flashbacks pisses to the himself the cop and then he yes. pisses yes. himself <laughs> and then the the detective the, 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 or the captain as well says you get out of here and you're and you're suspended for like so he's like you fired a gun in a police station yeah. at a guy who wasn't even like a witness. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Suspended for like, I mean, obviously that's the point of corruption in general. It's so And also, weird. back in the day, they're just, fuck it. Just have a fight with fuck a it. gun and piss yourself in a cop station. You can station. do the whole like post-war PTSD stuff, but they don't. Um, so the whole thing there is is indicative of the whole film to me. Also, like, how is Jake not arrested at that point? You made a police officer suck a gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, but again, if you've ever fired a gun, those shit things get fucking hot. Yeah, he just, <laughs> he just gets away mouth. with a lot of shit. And there are some, like, terrible fucking fight scenes in these films as well. Oh, I know God, a lot of yeah. people think the, the um, like, Orange Grove, like, he's driving mm. about trying oh, to yeah, escape yeah. the guy with the crutch and they're just, just trying to beat him up. <laughs> And they really sloppily and badly beat him up, and nothing there's, really happens. You know, okay. <laughs> whole fight there's was an old story about Jack Nicholson, which is literally when people talk about Hollywood, which is that Jack Nicholson obviously loves his basketball at the minute. That's all he does. He loves the Lakers. Um, but at one point, he was driving down. This must have been the, in the early 2000s, I think, or maybe the 90s. And he's driving down the road, and he gets cut up by somebody on the on the on the highway. Oh yeah, the freeway, I know this freeway. Yeah, yeah. And he then, as they get to some lights. He obviously tails the car the whole way, then pulls up in front of them on the actual like the, the bit with the crosswalk where the, the pedestrians cross over. Get opens his boot, gets out golf clubs, smashes the fuck out of the bonnet of the car, gets back in and gets out. And when the cops turn up, they, they say it was Jack Nicholson. Said, eh, that's Jack. It's like, what? Sorry, what yep, do you that's mean? Jack. That's yeah. an assault. That's, 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 that's a crime. It's like, nah, it's Jack. We're not yeah, going to do anything. You know, Jack, how he is. Yeah, you should be lucky. You're now in an anecdote for all time. Yeah. Um, and also, you shouldn't have cut him up. He's Jack. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. And but and, he's, a, he's such a fascinating individual, Jack Nicholson, because he's from humble, humble origins, really fucked up roots. The whole like my sister, my daughter, my stuff actually is part of his history in mm. a weird way. Uh, not not directly and intentionally because of the classic, you know, uh, when someone in a family uh, out of wedlock sort of thing had a kid, it was a scandal. So it's like, oh, that's just my brother. It's like, no, you had a kid and you're just, you know, you were young and a teenager and it's the, you know, the, the family, the classic, you know, old Irish Catholic And he has a bunch thing. of like bastard sons and stuff. And just yeah. All it's over, so weird. Kind of Boris Johnson style, like at least six <laughs> children. You're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. six to seven. Jack's like, going to be what? Jack, you know? Yeah. And then you've got the thing where people interview I could get away with that with my name. That's not fair. Do you want to father a load of children randomly? I mean, no, but I want to get away with shit. The cops are like, that's Jack. Everyone's going to get away with shit. That's how, that's humans and power. It's weird because when he's interviewed and stuff, he's surprisingly humble and he will take certain jobs and things and he goes a hundred fucking percent on everything he's on. And then, and I think he's still the most awarded uh, male Academy Award winner because um, he's won three Oscars I think is he really bloody hell yeah um, he's one of the only ones I think I don't know how that's still accurate but it used to be a big a big fact but classically whenever he's interviewed and says people have said you are the best of all time actor you are the the actor um, what do you say to that he says well obviously that's stupid it's Marlon Brando come on man it's Brando and so when you people are like, who is the greatest actor of all time? Brando's name circles partly because Jack Nicholson always says, well, you know, you think it's me, but it's not, it's Brando. And you're like, oh, interesting. Point I'm trying to get to is the man is larger than life. And while in the Chinatown early in his career, which is a fucking amazing career, he plays a character who was a goddamn weasel. And he's like, you know, I'm I'm telling this joke. Hang on, hang on. Man. Oh, God. The joke yeah, that makes yeah. no fucking sense. Um <laughs> I don't get it at all. I, I get it, but it's 
it's but it's racist much, and gross. It's it's racist and sexist. Uh, yes. and, and comes from a time where like you get married and that's supposedly the person you only have sex with for the rest of your life, kind of thing. Yeah, and I say I I, I kind of yeah fuck it I I I, I understand that, but I, I remember having to go over it. And I was like I don't understand. Anyway, but then you get to the second film and it's like nope. Big dick swinging Jack here. Um, I'm going to play off. I'm going to play golf all the time. Just because I play golf all the time. It seems like a fun thing to do. Uh, nothing can really uh, get through to me. Harvey Keitel's character is this all over the place kind of guy. But don't worry because of my fucking friendship and the fact we both call Jake. Hey, what about that? And we um, wear the because, same shoes because... Yeah. Reasons. Because I of that. fucking hate By the it. end of the film, the, the character's like... His yeah. fucking best friend or some I, shit. I, like, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that they like, hey, my name's Jake too, and the shoes and stuff, because I'd heard of that. I didn't realize it was the opening fucking scene. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, buddy, hey, check out your shoes. I'm a Jake too. Well, Jiminy Jellicas are the Jake. Isn't this exciting? We're just like, turn to camera, the two Jakes. Two Jakes. <laughs> like, fuck off. I mean, I mean, do it subtly, have not for fuck's sake. Why did you say that name? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, My mother's name's they... Jake too. <laughs> <laughs> Must save Jake. <laughs> what? Jake Wayne? <laughs> no, Jake. Um, Jake so yeah. Gillis. It's it's almost universally accepted that Chinatown is a masterpiece. The two Jakes is interesting, but ultimately forgettable. I think that's the general conclusion. However, and I'm curious here for a second, if there's a theory or a running theme for season seven. It's controversy, apparently. Oh, yeah. Controversy that is a storm in a teacup. Yeah. Because it's never controversial. Jack, I believe, gave us another classic in The Messenger. Oh, we're going to record in a couple of days. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. I've got a controversial mm. topic. <laughs> yes. It's like, no, you don't. You never do. But maybe today is the day. Maybe. What's, what's a controversy? What's a controversial opinion? I thought Chinatown was okay when I first saw it. Okay. And then I... The two Jakes made me appreciate it as a good film. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I don't think I appreciated Chinatown until I saw the two Jakes. And I think I... viewing them almost back mm. to back made me like Chinatown a lot more. I think if I I'd had yeah. more separation, I wouldn't rate Chinatown that much. I wouldn't even. I don't think that's as controversial it. as you might initially think. Just because whenever someone goes back to watch a classic, you always go, oh. Yeah, I get it. It's pretty good yeah, because all the tropes the are, are, are so ingrained. Oh, I've seen that joke on The Simpsons a million precisely, times before. <laughs> precisely. And it's only when you see the other things around it that are similar that you go, oh, no, this is a cut above. Uh, and there's a reason this is, is iconic and has lasted so long. In the same way that I wouldn't be surprised if future generations say, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, excuse well, me. I really like it. Uncharted 3. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, I, I I, like Aquaman. That's my kind of adventure movie. It's like, I'm going to fucking... <laughs> it's not necessarily wrong. It's just the fact that you only get well, to something like wrong, that yeah. with Raiders of the Lost Ark doing the sort of adventure thing. And you don't get that because of serials. But if you watch things at the time like King Solomon's Minds and other things that were in, in you know, the librarian later years and that sort of nonsense, <laughs> things that Im you imitate it, you realise, oh, no, no, this was doing something so i wouldn't say it's controversial it's an interesting conclusion mm. I, 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 I get that i i would actually agree um, hey, I, nice. I was a little underwhelmed by chinatown excellent um Good. and i think i think a lot of it is that context of the stuff that it's doing that's innovative has become so imitated that yep. watching it now for the first time you don't understand that without the context of like what other stuff was mm. like at the time etc etc i i found there were some things that I found surprising about it that the two Jakes then made worse. Not not that they <laughs> I, made I Chinatown worse, but they 
they made the same errors, but more egregiously. I basically. couldn't agree mm. more. I feel like that summarizes the two Jakes in general. Like it takes the bits of Chinatown <laughs> and then just makes everything worse. <laughs> um, so I was I was surprised how knowing that it's classified as a neo noir and mm. thinking about and 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 again like I I have not watched a huge amount of noir, but I I kind of know the tropes because they're just so ingrained in society now. Sure. I was surprised how like bright it was without yeah. it feeling like there was particularly attention drawn to the fact that it was very kind of With you know Californian you know it's broad fucking daylight in LA yeah there's there's yeah. very little that takes place at night it doesn't feel very urban for a lot of, you know I know it's, mm-hmm. LA is kind of sprawled so it doesn't there's not a huge amount that feels urban in the same way that say new york or chicago do yeah um, i had to do some la geography research for my pitch like he goes to this place i'm like where is that does he need to walk there does he need a car oh fuck it's miles away and again like two jakes feels even more bright and sun bleached and very 90s in its it really does yeah it doesn't it, does, it, yeah. it doesn't feel like a period piece in a lot of and i don't know if that's I, just I because couldn't agree more we're yep, far yep. enough from the 90s that the 90s aesthetic well, is very distinctive yeah, now. we now understand that in context right like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I would say very quickly it's interesting because we talked about this in the turtles episode about the idea that a 1990 film is a 1980s film. i was about to and say that, that yeah, wouldn't yeah feel 80s it feels 90s so mm. at the time it would have been really progressive as well mm. so it'd be like shooting it with just as a contemporary equivalent for a second it, it, imagine a very mid 2010s nolan look that wally Mm. Um, Fister kind of like very interesting tones or like, or like a very Fincherian sort of social network mm. imagine that look for a single oh it looks so contemporary it looks so fresh and new and forward thinking mm. like yeah but you've just immediately dated it into a time period yeah um, that you're about to go into it, weirdly like just from the look of it it reminded me of a very bad film uh, Lawrence Kasdan's Grand Canyon which came out a oh, year wow. later oh um, yeah. but anyway um, the other thing that surprised me because th- there are certain parts of both uh, Chinatown and the and the two Jakes that feel very noir in their tropes. Mm. The treatment of women, which is pretty awful, and I don't think Robert Town can write women at all. Um, nope. I agree with and that. we'll get probably more into the two Jakes because the women characters in that are just. I mean, we've already talked about the sex scene, but there's yeah. plenty more to talk um, about as well. Oh, yeah. But I, the the thing that surprised me that is an to my mind a noir trope that is completely undone, especially in the two Jakes, is that. Jake is pretty successful. Like, in mm. the first film, he has people working for him. He has this established agency. He's doing all right for himself. In The Two Jakes, like, he's a member of a country club and he's got a whole building that works for him and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I thought all noir detectives were meant to be, like, yeah. down on their luck. Yeah. And it feels really weird because he feels mm. so establishment in The Two Jakes. Because he's Jack sure. Nicholson. Because he's fucking Jack Nicholson, yes. <laughs> yeah. exactly. and this, is, this is really interesting because it's kind of piv- slightly pivotal to me like teasing my pitch here you've brought up a lot of different things and both of you guys said like oh they could have done this but they didn't do this they could have done this but they didn't do that i've done a bunch of this in my pitch and i've been really <laughs> nervous about this pitch because and i don't know how else to word it but like this is the film i knew the least about going into it of the ones yeah. that i've written I, I probably put the most pressure on myself for the thing pitch as we've covered extensively that that was <laughs> yes, the hardest yes. writing job for me so far and like Dark Knight Rises stuff just came off the top of my head because I've been playing that for ages whatever whatever mm. but my process for this was like how the fuck do I do a sequel to Chinatown mm-hmm. I'm a kid <laughs> born in the year that the sequel comes out how the, how the fuck do I do 
a sequel to the classic like noir from the 70s kind of stuff and you guys have touched on a couple of things um, obviously mm. listeners we're going in blind once again the other two have not seen my pitch don't they know. don't know really? that i've hinted at the title they don't know the title don't know the director don't know who's in it they don't know the nope. plot nothing if they scroll down the document a little bit they'll see it there we have a little shared google doc but yeah. We'll get into that later on, but he's very interesting. Don't some of these peek points, at your Christmas presents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some some of the points you guys are bringing up, I'm like, oh, thank God, I addressed that in the pitch because <laughs> like, I've been really nervous of like. We both. Is, do, I think we all do that. Is this just a bu- is this just a bunch of shit that I've just made up? Yeah. And people are gonna be like, well, that's not Jake Gitties. I'm like, Bleh. I don't no, know. Nothing worse than in, in the in the first hour of our show, us all saying, you know what the fucking problem is? You don't do this. You don't do that. And it's like, oh no, my pitch. Oh no, it's, I've, I've done all these things. To be fair, though, and it is, I genuinely think, a um, an important statement to make to defend Jack before we even go into this. Chambers, Jack, not Nicholson. Chambers, not Nicholson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the two Jacks. Oh. We did it. We did it. Yeah. Thank you much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. But played on a sultry trumpet. That works. That works. So I was going to say that even the writer of Chinatown, who worked on some of the biggest and most successful films, and in a year where he won an Oscar against films like The Godfather Part Two and the adaptation of The Great Gatsby and Murder on the Orient Express, he won an Oscar for Chinatown. Mm. Even he couldn't make a good sequel to it. So Jack, there's less pressure on you. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. You, you, whatever you'll produce, I'm, I'm, I'm confident it'll be interesting. But I think the, the thing that's be interesting to me is I think threefold. Mm. The first one is going to be very easy, and you'd have to tell me this now. It's if you bring Jack Nicholson back, because okay. I think you can't have anyone else other than Nicholson, in my opinion. But we'll see. What they, you do. Again, like I said, they thought about recasting the role, mm. which I no, think is very seriously. interesting. Very, very uh, weird choice. I, I shall say nothing yet, yeah, but we will get into that. All of their choices are very like Harrison. Ford Harrison such fucking a different Ford. energy to Jack Nicholson. Late eighties, post Return of the Jedi, Harrison Ford. What a weird fucking choice. Yeah. yeah. It's just where Blade Runner is still his oh, other noir oh, film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm Jake Giddies now, so I can. Uh, he was a good guy. He used to be uh, in the war. Suck this, uh, suck this gun from you. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's not, now, the whole point of Nicholson over. is that he's this like barrel of energy that keeps the momentum of the film going. Mm. That is, for better or worse, in the second film, I think for worse, but Nicholson mm. is that center that charismatic you know gooey center to oh, the whole yeah. thing mm. but because he's he, in the first film even though he's he, he's weaselly still but he's like he's got that energy he's high he's got, yeah. like you know come on he's yeah, a shyster he's is... trying to like yeah he makes people think he's important and cool even if he's not necessarily that cool and he kind of gets a bit of celebrity status he's on he's in the newspapers he's in the headlines mm-hmm. or the ladies want to fuck him for some reason because he's jack because he's jack <laughs> Oh, that's Jack Beard. Sorry, carry on with your two points. Other points. Yeah, there are yeah. two other points. And that is going to be your director and your year. I think yes. they're going to be vitally important. Very, the, I'm so, not going to say anything what I expect or think, but I think uh, you'll get from me a reaction of, okay, yeah. or yes, boy. Uns- unsurprisingly, those are the two things I spent the most time, like, Ooh. in terms of, like, obviously I spent the most time actually typing the pitch out. Yeah. But like in terms of like word to time ratio, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, picking mm-hmm. the director. I mentioned the the difficulty picking director for my TMNT thing. 
This, yes. once it all slotted into place, I think it made sense. And funnily enough, and this is teasing at the year here because this is this Ooh. is relevant, John Huston was one of my forerunners for being a director. Oh, wow. so you're going potentially late 70s, early 80s? Potentially. Mid-80s, or potentially. whatever it be. It's okay. Before, okay. Let's put it this way. It's before John Huston dies. So, yeah. And that was a huge... We'll, we'll talk, obviously talk about this in more detail in, in a sec mm. later on in the episode, but... That was a big consideration for me. And then I found someone else who I thought like, oh, that might work and that might bring something a little bit different, a bit more interesting. Okay, so okay. That's what I've that's what I've gone for. But I mean I've it, I've also like ch- I've I also do... changed the year, I've changed the title, I've changed the director. It, uh, I've not done the classic fixing it a little bit. I've completely kind of scrapped it. But we'll we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, <laughs> we're teasing the rest of the episode. We'll get into that later yeah. on. I mean my, I mean next episode is is my episode, episode nine. And uh, I've got I've said it in twenty twenty seven it's being released with an AI director. So you know <laughs> are, you, are you the only person who's No, you've both done future pitches because Tim you did the, the streaming release exclusive thing right and then Matt you oh, did yes. you did um Zulu. Uh, Zulu, yes, Zulu yeah. with um that we're was later this, that was the end of the, that was coming out like this week now. equivalent wasn't it <laughs> yeah the, to, to go alongside as an alternative to june but equally in our universe the coronavirus was handled very very well yeah oh yeah, yeah it, was, it was all everything fixed by better. then and then we the got a sequel to the spanish flu yeah and yes we're gonna forget <laughs> and we got steve mcqueen just being like yeah i've sorted it mate no worries everything's Problem fine solved. oh if only we lived in the sequelizers universe right lads <laughs> if only people always say it <laughs> yeah Hi everyone, it's Tim here, just with a heads up and a content warning for you. In the next section, we discuss Roman Polanski, who obviously directed Chinatown, and the various uh, crimes and allegations that have been levelled against him across the years. If that's something that you don't fancy listening to, then you can jump to approximately 58 minutes, which is where we wrap up our discussion and move on to ads if you're listening to an ad version, or straight into Rotten Tomatoes if you're listening to an ad-free version. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode, and thanks very much for listening. Um, I think I, I, I do want to briefly touch on this, uh, because we've we've obviously talked up Chinatown, although Jack and I both were a little more kind are, of... Are you addressing the uh, elephant in the room here, too? Yes, I feel <laughs> yeah, like it's probably so. worthwhile. Speaking oh, of controversy, yeah. shit. Uh, we're talking Rush Hour 3's amazing actor. Yeah. The man <laughs> with knife. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which is weird that he give like, because to me that, not having seen it before, like, that is the iconic thing of Chinatown, is like, mm. the, the image of Jack Nicholson with the bandage on his nose, and yes. the knife, and the knife being kind of up his nose. That was the, How the hor- moment horrible I, is that scene as well? He doesn't, like, just cut him, he sticks the knife in his nose so, and then pulls yeah, it out, like, it's, ugh, and it, it? The, the, the kind of, the visceral nature of the violence in that moment, I was like, wow, they really fucking went for it. And, yeah. and apparently that, the, the prop was mm. designed in a way that, like, it was safe, but if if they'd have done it wrong, it still would have cut Jack Nicholson's, cut Nicholson's nose. nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was looking at it, I think I keep thinking to myself, this is just so it's it, it's it's not as drawn out as you think it is. It's very quick and it's so violent because you look at it and and obviously yes, you say about like props and mm. things, obviously live action stuff in camera techniques, blah blah blah. I was showing to my wife the other again the other day and I thought I just, I know how they did it, but I don't know how you do this. Yeah. It's like a magic trick. Yeah, so I think when you told it, it works. Yeah. It's like yeah, but. It looks real. It I feels, don't understand. Yeah. Any, anyway, we, we, yes. <laughs> let's stop praising the prick. Let's talk about yeah. the prick. Yes. The man with uh, the knife in question is, is Roman, Roman Polans- fucking Polanski. Yeah. Who obviously directed Chinatown and is an awful human being. Oh, yeah. We've talked about controversial figures. You know, we, we got in a fair bit of trouble talking about Johnny Depp and that yes. whole thing before. This is on another fucking level. This is yeah. evil. The, the Polanski and, stands. The, yeah, the evil and infamy 
that I don't think we've probably addressed on this show before because this is one of the most famous cases of I, I think in my opinion of like the the se- the sexual harassment stuff that's been going on recently. This is a kind of legendary case from before to the point where Polanski fled the country and has never been back since. This is. Mm. It's it's insane that he's yeah. still making films and people yeah. are like, all, yeah, all, all you need give to say him awards and stuff. Like, a couple of years after doing Chinatown, he was arrested for sexual assault of a 13-year-old. And then you just stop for a second. Well, no, 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 no. And everything... And that, which he pled guilty to. Yeah, precisely. That is a fucking yeah. important mm. part. He didn't deny it. He went mm-hmm. for a plea bargain that then the judge was like, hmm, no, fuck you. And mm-hmm. he was basically going to make an example of him because it was the classic, you know, make an example of a rich person and then this shit hopefully doesn't happen in these circles ever again kind of thing. Yeah. Hello, Jeffrey Epstein and all that bollocks. <laughs> then Polanski was like, well, he got word from a friend or something that the judge was going to do that and he mm-hmm. didn't trust him to actually, you know, honor his plea bargain in court. And yep. he was going to, basically, I'm going to jail him for the rest of his life or something is what the judge That's said. That's right. I'll never see this man if he gets the outside of jail. Or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Polanski was like, fuck that. And fled the country and has never yep. been back since. Yeah. Nope. He lives in France, I think. It's France, isn't he? He's, yeah. And he's, France, fr- he's French, Polish, so yeah. Yeah, he's got, he's got French citizenship and Polish citizenship. So he's, mm. he's flitted between the two. But I believe he doesn't, there's no extradition treaty between France and the US that some, certain countries have certain mm. relationships where if you're a criminal in one and if you're like a felon, like a real like national level criminal, mm. the country will work with the country of origin and like extradite them back mm-hmm. and force, imprison them and force them back into the country to be tried and all that kind of stuff. Sure. France at the time, and I believe still to this day, does not have that relationship with America. So... Mm. Polanski's just kind of gotten away with it. And Very it's, much so. And it's terrifying. <laughs> like, in the early 2000s, I remember this distinctly myself because that's when I started learning about it. Obviously, just, you know, a, a, a year, a couple of years before I watched Chinatown, I was like watching a few other Polanski films saying, oh, this guy's really cool. He's really interesting. Because um, you don't know these things. In the, Internet's a thing, obviously, but not in the same way. You think, oh, wow, the guy did Rosemary's Baby. That's so cool. And then... A aforementioned really, Rosemary's Baby. We talked about it on the yeah. Damien episode. And then he did The Pianist and everyone went, this film is astonishing. The, the is. Pianist is the one that made me aware of Polanski. Yes. Yeah, yeah, same. And... Weinstein tried to stop him getting an Oscar <laughs> by labeling him a child rapist. <laughs> um, I say labeling. Layers, mm. layers of um, irony there, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. And Polanski like blamed him. He's like, well, you're a, how dare you bring up the focus again on this case? And that was one of Weinstein's defense was like, no, this is all a conspiracy theory built by Roman Polanski to like yeah. to cover himself up. I've not done anything wrong. This is all Roman's doing. Like, yeah. I'm the good guy in this. I I want to get Roman Polanski there to no answer for his crimes. And if you're if you've got Weinstein claiming to be the good guy against the yeah. other guy, yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, and it, it got there was a kind of light shone on it again recently in February of this year actually because uh, a bunch of the people involved with Portrait of a Lady on Fire, oh um, yes yes, or uh, the actresses and the director I believe, oh yes, walked out of the. Uh, Caesar Awards in France, yes. which are like the French Oscars, basically, because yes. Polanski won for a film. Yeah. And it, and it I, is that thing of like, yeah, how are you still giving this guy awards? Yeah. It's, uh, I he mean, won it's BAFTAs it's... and Oscars for like yeah. Best yeah. Direction. Not like it won Best Picture and you kind of be like, mm. it's an amazing film, but we'll ignore the director. Or like Best mm. Performance. You We're going to award him. You, yeah. You're specifically awarding him as a creator, specifically yeah. him directly it's, for both BAFTAs and Oscars. 25 years later? Yeah. 
For fuck's it's really, sake, Collie, it's really frustrating and difficult because at the, and I'm, I'm in obviously in no way defending anything of his actions because fuck me, why would you do that? But the point is, it's the Mel Gibson mindset. It's the, uh, what is that? How did Robert Downey Jr. call it? The hug in the cactus. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. But some people need to be impaled on that fucking cactus, to be fair. It's not about hugging it and like, oh, I did my time. It's like, no, you're a shit. Also, because yeah, you're talented, doesn't Alansky matter. didn't do his fucking time. He ran yeah, away. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He if he had been jailed for it, and then say, for example, he was released 20 years later in the late 90s and still mm-hmm. made The Pianist in 2002, yep. there's an argument there for... He made a mistake when he was a younger man. He's atoned for it. He spent time in jail, whatever. I'm not justifying it, obviously, mm. but there obviously, is an argument yes, yes, yes. there that you can justify to it's say... It's the separation of art and artist, and it's th- like, yes, you can, in but the- you're not. In, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, separating art and artistry is difficult for me, but... Oh, no, I don't think you can, yeah, personally. Yeah. But you, I think a yeah, lot of yeah, people no, try and to, and, and, yeah. and try, you know, are successful I try to see that. the pianist as a huge thing created by a lot of people. Yeah. The problem is, yeah. that man, who is a child rapist, got a lot of fucking money from that movie. Yeah. He may use that money to rape children because that's ultimately what he's done. Yes. And then, yeah. it, and, I'm and, not saying, you know, it's like Jack was saying about, you know, if he served time, except he is unrepentant. Like yes, he has run exactly. away from yes. the consequences yes. of... Well yeah. said. And, yeah. and, and the thing is, as, 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 I'm not saying anyone's opinion is above anyone else's, but if you've seen my um, highlight of the year for last year, for 2020, a film that appeared quite a lot is Portrait of a Lady on Fire because everyone involved in that film is a fucking amazing uh, creator and and um, and creators in general. And I think if you like, if you want to see the future of cinema, go watch that movie. You know, it's like it's like me talking about like um, a lot of South Korean cinema. It's like you can see the future of what is going to be the best films of the year that should be getting appreciation. It's like, well, yes, but. But but Roman Polanski made some very good movies recently, and he also has in the past. It's like, yeah, sure, cool. Um, let's put them in a historical vault as a novelty then, and we can watch them and say, that's a good film. He's a weird guy. He was also in Rush Hour 3. You know that's how we like choice. take away awards? Like like Jimmy Savile is no longer an OB or MBE. Or oh, uh, yes. Like, um, honours and things. Yes, yeah. yeah. You, you're stripped of titles mm. once you're discovered that you're a monster. And unfortunately, it happens more than we'd like to think that it does. But yeah. it happens. In but a biker gang, if you offend people, your tattoos get tattoo, tattooed over sure, by a big black sure. mark to prove exactly. a point. Yeah. I feel people should have the same sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole thing with this, and I know we're kind of harping on this, but it is such a huge subject to talk about. Mm. Like, he didn't win the Oscars and then rape someone. And that's someone no, being no. a 13 year old, need we yeah. remind you. This is some serious fucking shit that years later, where it is basically confirmed that he did this thing and he pled guilty to that thing mm. they award him significant awards that as you said matt not only give him like validation and like critical acclaim and acclaim power. from his peers and like oh maybe he's all right now because he won an oscar that shit happens whether you like yeah. it or not because well the oscars and the baftas gave him awards so he can't be that bad and people don't go and look up the fucking case and see mm. that no mm. he pled guilty like it, it's giving him validation yes. after the event. It's bad enough that you have to like take away things from people that you discover later are monsters. Mm. But you know he's a monster. You knew at the time. And you're yeah. giving him awards that bring on fame and more power to do mm. more shit like that. Mm. Granted, it, it sounds... we don't know that he's done the whole like, you know, had sex with more people underage and built a a, a ring yes. or whatever it is. Like, we don't know that, but there is a claim and power and money that comes with those awards, and as mm. as much of a you know symbol of nothing they really are, they do mean something in the Hollywood circles for better mm. or worse. This is what we were talking about in our in our Oscars episode. It means something because it sends a message to the world. Yeah, 
Um, it's like it's He's a message. Right. It's a message of acceptance for a yeah. fucking paedophile. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's I think not acceptable. <laughs> I know if we're being controversial on the fucking sequel. I know people. Some people I don't think disagree. Contro- controversy at disagree all, no, with our political no. views, but they they acknowledged and validated a fucking paedophile. How yeah. are more people not outraged? But I know a lot of people are. Like you said, people walk out of cinemas and stuff. But like, mm. fuck me. That's because yeah. it blows my mind. It's it's not common knowledge. Um, I mean, this is a very flippant way of looking at it, unfortunately, as a segue. But we do have this, and I don't want to say responsibility. That's such a heavy, heavy word and a loaded word, but it's important to add it. We do have a responsibility on sequelizers. We talked about this in the, the fucking X Men episode. It's like the logical choice is to bring Brian Singer back, but we know what Brian Singer is. So do as I said, yeah, we've we've touched on. Uh, yeah, Brett Ratner, so do we, Brian Singer, we, Joss Whedon. We've talked about these people yeah. before. Do we create an environment where we bring back Kevin Spacey for a certain role? Like, uh, what do I do? So it's like you have to remove it. It's like why are you removing him? Because we know what we know with hindsight. Yeah, logically at the time, and and this is the point we always point out. We never know anything behind closed doors. We could easily know in in a couple of years' time. Go shit. We've got a whole episode in series four where we talk about. Insert name here. How much the we greatest love actor, certain, greatest director. Yeah, we exactly, love him so yeah. much. And it turns out he's the biggest monster of all time who time traveled and fucking killed the Lindbergh baby and then told Hitler about, hey, maybe you should do this as well. And I was like, oh my God, he's the worst human being with time travel. Hyperbole and stupidity. Yeah, I yeah. What I'm trying to say You're making that, it facetious for the point of. Exactly, exactly. To, to, to take it away from the thing. The but, horror of reality. Precisely, thank you. So, yes, Polanski fucked up. Chinatown, amazing movie in spite of him as well as because yeah. of him as mm. it were so we we acknowledge that we know that Un- unsurprisingly from my ranting about him being a pedophile i didn't mm. bring him back as director for my yeah. film <laughs> shock and he horror was for everyone busy not I'm being sure. in america he's yeah. busy being a pedophile in europe so <laughs> he's not directing my film we should probably um get around to seeing what jack has done with mm. this because mm. while he may not have uh, used Polanski as director. He's releasing it in 2018 with some uh, visual effects to create digital Roman Polanskis in every role. <laughs> My main God. character is Man with Knife. <laughs> it's the Man can with Knife fu- story. Can you fucking imagine? My God. No, and I felt dirty just even suggesting it. Before I get into my pitch and fixing the two Jakes, we need a couple of words from a couple of sponsors. First off, you probably know them already. It's Stitcher Premium. With Stitcher Premium, you can listen to all of your favorite podcasts ad-free and you get some bonus content thrown in there as well. Not only is Stitcher a fantastic little podcast listening app, it's full of Stitcher original shows. You can only get on that app through premium bonus episodes, comedy albums, and loads, loads more available for just $4.99 per month or $34.99 per year. You can go to stitcher.com slash premium and sign up today. And if you use the promo code SEQUALIZERS, spelt as it is on your current podcast listening device, you get an extra month for free. So you get 13 months for $34.99. If that's not a bargain, I don't know what is. And I can't remember Tim's tagline that he came up with for Stitcher that was really good a couple of weeks ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Stitcher, it'll do you one. <laughs> and our second sponsor, you might know them already from a previous episode, it's Ubico. I want to tell you about Ubico. Ubico sets a new world standard for simple, secure logins, preventing unauthorized access to computers, servers, and internet accounts. With the YubiKey from Ubicode, it's a physical security key using two-factor authentication to protect all of your accounts. As more of us continue to work from home, it's more important than ever to protect your secure information. 
So what can you do to protect your accounts? Yuiko is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase of $100 or more using the code POD at yubico.com. That's Y-U-B-I-C-O.com using the code P-O-D-POD. Say hello to Yubiki and goodbye to account takeovers. You don't need to hire a detective to find out where your shit has gone because uh, you've already got it locked down. In the, in the modern, yeah, you don't need a Jake Gittes. You, you've got it all locked down already. See, I, I was going to say, far safer than a floor safe that you can drop a grenade into. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and then Very it's good. a smoke grenade because it's, <laughs> it's a joke. What a weird character that dude is as well. <laughs> so strange. It's a grenade. You've been in the war. <laughs> what? Uh, so I'm on Rotten Tomatoes duty, um, mm. and I've got, I've got I've got an interesting variant uh, for you. Oh, but, interesting! But before we get all to... the classic noir films, <laughs> oh, Chinatown, uh, the Two Jakes, and Big Trouble and in Rush Little Hour Three, <laughs> <laughs> the Roman Polanski hint. <laughs> uh, before before we get to the the variant, uh, let's yes. let's get the scores for the first the first Chinatown and for. <sighs> The sequel so, to Jake's. So for Chinatown, I very nearly had it spoiled for me. And oh. to even the, even the score here, I had a hint. I will give the hint to Matthew as well. That's fair. Thank you. I know that Chinatown is not a 100% film. Yes. Because yeah. people complained about it not being a 100% <laughs> film. I didn't see the actual score, but I saw that mentioned in a review. So I thought I'd even the playing field and I'd own up to it and say, I That's know it's not 100%. I'm, I'm not going to guess 100% hmm. and level the playing field between me and Matthew and I'll probably regret that in about two minutes <laughs> when he fucking whitewashes me. <laughs> so, with that in mind, knowing it's not 100, it's going to be really fucking high, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's Chinatown. The question is, do I go 99? I think it's, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fucking high. Um, I am going to go... I like multiples of three. I'm going to go 97% for mm. 1974's Chinatown, please, Tim. I actually think... Okay, I, I must admit, I wouldn't have said 100 because I know Alien and Aliens aren't 100% <laughs> as well. And we discuss all the time, like, who the fuck is... And it's people who either just didn't get on with the film. There's nothing wrong with that, critically speaking, arguably. Um, and can find genuine fault. Or people are like, eh, I went back to it. It was slow. In the same way that, not to be comparative, you guys... Yeah. Mm. But then also, you wouldn't have given it a negative review. Like, this is a bad film. See, yeah, that's the thing. Yes, exactly. It's Again, with Rotten Tomatoes, it's a positive score of more than 60%, or 6 out of 10, or 3 out of 5. That is considered positive. Anything lower than that is considered negative. And this is the percentage of positive reviews since the film's initial release. Who gives Chinatown a negative review is the yeah. question. <laughs> a dickhead. I can understand people, like you said, not thinking it's a masterpiece. But giving it less than 6 out of 10 yeah. seems a bit drastic. Mm. It would make if it was hundred percent. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Do you know Logan what I mean? Paul is he a critic? Fuck if you have not. a YouTube channel, apparently he can be a critic sometimes. Anyway, so um, a quick tangent. I saw bizarrely after I've written my own review for One Woman, nineteen eighty four. I saw a three out of five as a big splat and a three out of five as a red tomato. And I thought, wait, 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 what? <laughs> Stop being so fucked up. Anyway, not the point. I wouldn't have said nine hundred percent. As I say, I would equally go very high nineties. I'm gonna say. Did you go 97 in the end? I did, yes. Fuck, I've got 97. Uh, 95. Okay. So, the two Jakes. <sighs> Tricky. It's got to be lower. Because Siskel I... and Ebert loved it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. 
I don't think it's as low as I think of it because I re- I have a lot of problems with that fucking sure, movie. Sure, sure. Uh, what, 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 what would you say would be a a, a a score you're happy with in terms of Rotten Tomatoes or in sure, terms not, of my yeah no my no in terms of Rotten of Tomatoes not your actual thing. What do you think would be like? A, eh, I would agree with that. What would make you like uh, an acceptable sixty five? Sure. I'm gonna go. That, I'm gonna go. Yeah. So round about the sixty five, please. Give it a, a roughly a thirty percent drop off. I think that seems reasonable. Mm. It's still for one. Of, there's some good performances there. There's some decent, yeah. decent, you know, directing and stuff in in certain places. Yeah. There's some batshit silly stuff. And I wonder if some people might like. Well, it's Chinatown. It's just great being back in that world, See, isn't it? That it's, it's, would it's be classic my opinion noir, as well. LA yeah. bollocks and all that kind of stuff. So similar yeah. with you, like the '97. I actually would probably go a similar thing, just because a '70 feels <laughs> way too fucking high. '60 feels kind of low. Um, I think, yeah, somewhere in the middle. There, I think makes let's, sense. Let's go. Let's go bold. Um, I think it would have been a return to form, and this oh, this is great. Treading the boards again. This Nicholson, a powerhouse performance. From yeah, good old Jack. saves a film that was you know in 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 development hell. He pulls it through. Seventy percent. Seventy one percent. Oh, okay, interesting. So my final little challenge for you guys. Mm, we touched yeah, what's on the, it earlier. What's the twist, Tim? Jack Nicholson has had a extremely long career as an actor. As a director, he has oh, shit. three oh, films shit. Oh, yeah. to his name. Oh, God. He has The Two Jakes. He yeah, has yeah. 1971's Drive, he said. Yeah. Which is about <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, a, I did, I did look this a up basketball well, player who has an affair with a professor, uh, with a professor's wife, sorry, while his uh, college roommate tries to avoid the Vietnam draft. Yep. Uh, and then yep. in 1978, he directed Going South, and that's going mm-hmm. with... G-O-I-N apostrophe, uh, which is a Western comedy about an outlaw played by Jack Nicholson uh, who marries a woman to avoid being hung. So I'm going to say this right now. I've seen them both. Um, Have you really? Going South is actually quite funny. (laughs) It's actually all right. Nicholson does... Literally, I remember correctly when I was a kid, I remember the poster or the the video video of it, and he's got this wry smile on his face and his eyes are up. And it's it's, it's very like, it's fine. It's okay. It's functional. And um, Drivey said, I don't think I've seen it in a long time, but I remember Bruce Dern being quite good in it. I didn't know. Unsurprisingly, Matt's seen them both. I didn't know they existed until yeah. I the episode. Uh, so, um, I, welcome to mm, Sequelizers, everybody. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to rate them, but I am going to oh. ask you: What do you think of his three films? Is the highest? Is the highest rated on Rotten oh. Tomatoes? So, going oh. on the fact that we think that you think Two Jakes is seventy-one, and I think yes. Two Jakes is sixty-five. Correct. Is going south or drive? He said higher. Than the ones that we've predicted the fucking yeah, yeah, This yeah, is deep, yeah. man. This is multi-layered. I'll come right out of the gate. Oh, yeah, you, you've seen them both. You tell yeah, me. my experience of it, I think going south being another example of Jack directing Jack at the height of his well, not height, but a very strong point in his career, the late seventies. Because that's again post Chinatown, isn't it? It is. So yeah, like, I yeah. think it would be them. I'm gonna go with going south being his highest rate. I don't know what it would be. Um, I was seventy-five, say that well. not that fucking high. That's exactly what I was thinking. You motherfucker! Exactly what I was thinking. Towards the clean sweep. Uh, sure, sure. Thing. So if you want to go for the <laughs> same clean sweep one, of that's, two, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I will go. I will go for going south. I also think that's probably the highest rate. Sure. Okay, so... Okay, again, I'm guessing somewhere in the 70s would make sense. We're back in clean sweep territory. Oh, oh here we go, here we go. And it goes to Jack. Hey! Not Wait, 100%. Not Jack. <laughs> Chinatown. Yeah. Jack said 97. Yes. Matt said 95. 
it's 99% fresh. It is 99! Holy fuck. shit. Uh, with an, knew, with an again, audience rating of 93. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Two Jakes. Jack said 65. Matt mm-hmm. said 71. Jack, you got yes. it spot on. 65% oh, fresh. Oh, oh. And Matt kind of gave it to me. <laughs> Piss. Piss. <laughs> should have just jumped in with my You should, yeah. Piss. Yeah, you should have done. The, uh, yeah. the audience like 65, rating for Jack? Two Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> considerably different. 38%. Fuck me. Whoa! I, again, that, is ba- that is backlash of yeah. people like to say, yeah, I, I, again, I think China Ebert down. said it's a, it's a mature film for mature people. So it's an adult film for adult people. It's like, are you reacting to the fact that people aren't going to like this? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, I disagree. I don't like, like I said, I don't particularly like the film, mm. but 38 is broke. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit harsh. It's functional. We've seen much worse films that have higher scores than that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and as for the the Nicholson directing challenge, you are both correct. Going south, hey, this is highest rated nice. with actually with Matt's guess on the two Jakes seventy one percent. Oh Same. wow! Uh, so it just it just you were, eclipses. You were almost two so Jakes. right, Matt, in so many different what, places. What's uh, what's uh, going south? Oh, going south. What's uh, drive? He said. Uh, drive. He said is sixty two. So they're all around. Oh, that's the not, lowest one. Okay. It's not that too period. different then. Although yeah. interestingly. So two Jakes, thirty-eight percent audience rating. Going mm-hmm. south, fifty percent audience rating. Okay. Drive, he said, twenty-three percent. Fucking hell! I have a feeling that's probably it. not aged well. Uh, is probably uh, I guess I would imagine, but uh, who Maybe who knows? I have so. not seen it, so. But uh, yeah, I thought that I thought it should okay. be interesting. Very interesting. Uh, it is. It is interesting. Uh, and also, he hasn't. Let's face it, he hasn't directed something since the nineties. No. But then he hasn't acted for like ten years now. Yeah. Um, Jack, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, what are you doing, as Jack? I mentioned earlier on in the episode, the task falls to me to fix the two Jakes. And in this film, I guess with me writing it, you're going to have two Jacks because before I give you the title, Nicholson is back. Just lead in with that. Makes sense. Yes. We've got I Nicholson agree. in. We've got Nicholson. Quite a few returning cast. I'll get to those in a second. Is it just called Jack? It's called The Two Jacks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and are you in it? <laughs> I've cast myself. As a minus one month old <laughs> fetus. That that's one thing we haven't done at this point. Um, casting ourselves in the music. Who are you gonna have this in the role in his uh, first major appearance? Matthew Stone. Yeah, we all have <laughs> acting credits. Thanks to you, Matt. Yeah, yeah we all do. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, it's like, feasible. Could, it, it's highly masturbatory, but it's feasible. Welcome to sequelizers. <laughs> Here's your sock and glove. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I teased the title earlier. Yes. I'm going for, I'm including the name Chinatown so people can actually tell it's a fucking Chinatown sequel. Uh-huh. Because you look at the two Jakes and you're like, huh? Chinatowns? What the fuck is that? No, <laughs> not, not Chinatowns, unfortunately. Just China. <laughs> That's it. The entirety of China. Jake Chi-tow. is in China. Yeah. Uh, I'm releasing it in 1985. That's a good show. I agree with 11 that. years after the first film. And I'm, again, teasing, teasing the pitch here. 11 years have passed in real life in the film and in real life. Sure, sure. So you got Nicholson, that makes sense. Nicholson isn't aged by 16 years, but only 11 years have passed. Like the I weird actual two Jakes. <laughs> in The Shining in 1980, it's only been six years, but he looks like he's aged like a fucking yeah. two decades. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. As, exactly. As Indy says, it ain't the years, it's the mileage. <laughs> mileage, yeah. <laughs> and needless to say, Nicholson got plenty of mileage <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> um, yes. My sorry. title is Return to Chinatown. Nice and simple. Uh, nothing I'm okay too, with that. I'm nothing okay with too 
wanky, you know. It's I'd got, say got... it's not as noiry as I'd want, but no, it fits no. for the 80s. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm okay. It's two years after Return of a Jedi and shit, so like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Return's a big thing. Yeah, I was okay. very tempted to do Big Return Trouble in China. Because <laughs> <laughs> Big Trouble in China comes out about the, next, the following yeah. year. <laughs> John Carpenter says, what the fuck, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Okay. No, again, me, that, that me, fits. Me scoping out John Carter once again. Um, and first, probably warrant some discussion either now or later on. My director, as I mentioned, John Huston was the first person I thought of. Okay. I thought he's in the first film. He dies in 1987, I believe, yes. as I mentioned earlier. If I've got it in the mid-80s, he's still alive, he can still direct it. Sure. From what I understand, he is very ill at this time, and it is yeah. his like, last performances and all this kind of stuff. Sure. So I, I didn't feel kind of comfortable. It's a lot he, of work. He is, he is, he's a totally viable director and a perfectly good candidate for that role for yes, my movie. Yes. But I don't want to put that pressure on him, bearing in mind his real-life situation and circumstances and stuff. So I've gone for Brian De Palma. Fucking brilliant. Yes. I love that. Known, yeah. That's you very good. You probably know him. If you haven't already, you know, rec- some listeners might not recognise the name. He directed Scarface in 1983. Yeah. So, ta-da, <laughs> there you go. Um, need I say more? Um, so I'm releasing mm. this in 85. The year before, he did a noir film mm. that was very controversial at the time. Was, and yeah. De Palma famously said, like, I finished Scarface and everybody was like... God, that was so violent and sexual. And he was like, you ain't seen nothing yet, motherfuckers. <laughs> you want violence and sex? Body double in 1984, mm-hmm. which is like the most hyper-sexualized, over-violent, like noir, neo-noir type oh, thing time, you've ever certainly. seen in life. Yeah. In in 84, it was like yeah. controversially violent and sexual, basically. And that's for the, um, the, the violence of the untouchables. <laughs> and then, yeah. The Untouchables comes out in 87. So this is between Odd Double in 84 and Untouchables in 87. And he is famously a workaholic, especially at this time. Mm. And he says he basically just bounces from project to project because people were horrified that he released Body Double a year after Scarface. He was like, I like to keep busy. I just, I don't stop working. As soon as I've finished one thing's released, I'm working on the next one. Until recently. Until recently. Um, so yeah, straight away after Body Double, yeah, he's yeah. going on to do the Chinatown sequel. Um, I like that. Some, I like that a lot. Some listeners might also know him. He, weirdly enough, we mentioned it earlier. Yeah. The first Mission Impossible movie because we mm. mentioned Robert Town. Mm. He did Mission Impossible in '96 as well. Mm-hmm. So you guys have already laid this, the the little seeds there for me, like yeah, I mentioned yeah. earlier. So it's true. Yeah, De Palma director. I trust him. Good, interesting that noir. Is a very interesting, especially because he his his relationship with cinematographers. He has really visually interesting dark He really films. does, yeah. I think you could do a lot with this. That That is genuinely make me very, very, very optimistic. I yeah, say that... Actor, uh, but, director. Mm. Yeah. I say that a lot about my pitches. I, I almost write very visually. I see shots of my head before I write them down and I will kind of like act out a scene in my brain, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. before no, that, writing that, it down and that kind of yeah. thing. So I, I have like camera shots in mind when I'm thinking of it and I'm thinking... Again, you've Palmer's written a comic. Stylist, that so. makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does kind of help. I'm a comic writer, not a... I've never written a film script. I've written multiple comic mm. scripts, so I guess that kind of makes sense. But yeah, Dan Nicholson's back as Jake Gittis, yes. as I already mentioned, bringing him back. I, I wouldn't dare recast it, basically. Mm. Um, and as you'll see, and as you guys have kind of hinted at, which is very interesting, he's a very different Jake from the two Jakes. This is not Jack being Jack. This is Jack playing a fucking character. Good, good. Because he's a good actor and can act. <laughs> yeah, and he's not just hanging out at the golf club <laughs> drinking whiskey. Um, I'm also bringing back... Some of the smaller characters, so um, his associates and a couple other people. Lawrence Walsh is coming back. Uh, the, the, he's like the guy who says, forget it, Jake, it, mm, it's, it's Chinatown. Chinatown. Yes. His associate, 
played by Joe Mantel. Mm-hmm. He's coming back. Cool. Uh, Captain Escobar, who is Lieutenant Escobar in the first one, but Captain mm-hmm. in the second one, the, right, the yeah, cop yeah. who keeps showing up, uh, played by Perry Lopez. He's coming cool. back. I'm bringing back John Houston as a little bit of a cameo, just as a little bit of a nod. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. I'll address that. Some connective not, tissue. I'm not putting too much pressure on him. There's a little little scene with him there. He's a little cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Hong as Khan. James Hong. Mm. James Hong's amazing. Speaking of Big Trouble in Little China, um, I didn't cast him as Low Pan. That would be amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> crossover season. With all the... oh, the, it's crossover season. A noodle making duck. All that. You've got two options. <laughs> Kung Fu Bloody Panda, which I've still not seen. Oh, um, <laughs> that's your job over Christmas, Jack. Watch yeah, Kung, seriously. Watch oh, okay. Yeah. Series. So I've I've got a week off work coming up. I I swear on my sequelizer's license oh. that I, <laughs> that I will watch all three Kung Fu Panda movies over the Christmas break. How about that? I mean, you didn't have to. And you I will, just said we will watch them, but I will, yeah. fine. Yeah, I, okay. I will. No, I'm putting the pressure on myself. If I don't put the pressure on myself, I won't get it done. <laughs> all right. So when we come back in the new year and we do a watch, we what we've been watching recently of the first one of 2021. Yes, yes. I can talk about Kung Fu Panda. Listeners, listen like, to this. It's, we're recording the week before Christmas. I yes. know for you it's like January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's already January, but when we record our first yes, Patreon yeah. exclusive, I can go, Tim, you were so right, or what the fuck were you thinking, Tim? <laughs> or whatever. We'll find out. Yes, we'll find yes. out. Um, so yeah, you that's my people. returning cast. Mm. That's that's your lot. from, And this is returning from the... As I know, we kind of have to stipulate this sometimes. This is returning from Chinatown, not from the two Jakes. Yes. yes. I'm not bringing back Harvey Keitel. I'm not doing any of that bollocks. Okay. Um, it's mostly a new cast. I have got a returning character, though. Mm-hmm. Under a different name because of the whole Kitty Berman thing. Yes. Catherine Cross, as okay. she's known. Okay. Yep, yep. Tying back to Scarface. Mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. I, I she was hot property in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-80s, Michelle Pfeiffer. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. No good job. Um... This is interesting. This might be the controversial one because I know there's been a couple of times I've cast people and people have gone, oh, I might. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe O'Brien, yep. which, as you'll find out, is Catherine's boyfriend, partner, fiance, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick motherfucking Swayze in 1985. Very interesting. 85, um, he's quite unknown, really, because he's not done Dirty Dancing or Roadhouse or any of that shit. Yeah, or Point Breaker. That's all 90s stuff. Yes. Um, that's done. Where is I'm it? trying to think what he's done. Because this would be like one of his earliest actual... He's done Red Dawn, obviously. Yeah. Red Dawn and, as well. Uh, this is one of his yes. big breakout. Yeah. Yes. This is po- the year after Red Dawn. So Outsiders. Outsiders, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so he's 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 an so the unknown, outside is eighty three. But... The Red Dawn is eighty four. Yeah, um, and Red Dawn kind of highlighted him as like the big breakout star. Yeah. I mean, he was always going to be a star. I think it was going to be a couple of years later. He then goes mm. on, as you said, in eighty seven to do Dirty Dancing. So I'm oh. thinking between breakout star and sexiest man alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's the early we, Ryan Gosling career. You, know, shit, you can go back yeah. and listen to us talking about Dirty Dancing because Tim has already fixed that. Mm. Uh, the second film, obviously not the first one. <laughs> but yeah, that's my plan is to get a like lightning in a bottle, young Patrick Swayze in there. Very interesting. Very interesting. As a character called Joe. Yes. Um, Julian, a Chinese um, Chinese lady played by Cheng Pei Pei. Fuck from, um, well, she's been tons of, she's a huge martial she artist. Is, yeah, massively famous for being like the revolutionizing women one. in martial yeah. arts in like the 60s in yeah. Chinese yeah. cinema and all, all the wushu kind of stuff that was I going on. Everyone knows her from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, yeah, that that is kind of where I pulled mm. her from, mm. is where my, my reference point was for her there. Sure, sure. Um, she's good. 
it's a relatively small cast. There are a couple of other characters that I didn't, you know, didn't bother casting and stuff. Sure. Um, a couple of cameos at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I've named them Mr. and Mrs. Berman because, ha, huh, I can I can reference things that don't exist. <laughs> yes, because exactly. it's the, the sequelizers universe. Um, Dale Haddon is playing a classic kind of like noir yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a kind She's of. She's got a very there. distinct look. Very distinct look. Uh, playing Mrs. Berman, who's a kind of cameo in the beginning, mm-hmm. and her husband, as you'll find out, uh, a very young Andy Garcia. Oh, I love me, I love me some Andy Garcia. And he, see, he seems to be a theme in this season for some reason. <laughs> Garcia keeps popping up all over the place. Because mm-hmm. he was in uh, even he was in prequelizers with um, Smoking Guns. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Smoking Aces. And then smoking, guns. smoking Aces, not Smoking Guns. <laughs> smoking Aces. I yes. forget that film exists all the well, that's time. That's fair, that's fair. Um, yeah, and so ocean, young Andy Garcia. Films, yeah. yeah, and the Ocean's films as well, exactly. Mm. So yeah, young Andy Garcia. That's a, that's a, they're an interesting pairing because they would be, um, it, it, I, I'm assuming, I, mean, I could be very wrong here, but I'm assuming this is still set in LA. So if you've got a couple you are who correct. are really, for lack of a classic Hollywood look to them, but also one of them is of, of, of Central American descent, then you do have a sort of classic... You do know what LA is, right? In the same way people forget Miami is almost like a bilingual kind of place. Uh, I know it's on the different side of America, but you know what I mean? It's not just, yeah, Hollywood, it's all blonde people and, and mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. It's like, no, there's tons yeah. of fucking diversity. And you just LA is like the, was one of the earliest like big melting pots of the yeah. Hispanic yeah. culture and the Native American culture all coming together mm. and kind of building that thing. Uh, one person I will name because... I found out who he is like by looking him up from Chinatown. Another yes. returning cast member, but obviously in a much smaller role. One of Jake's associates from the first yeah. one, Duffy, is coming back. Oh. Played by Bruce Glover, who is Crispin Glover's dad. The, and that's the, why he has such a weird face. Yeah, when you see him like in his older years, he looks so much... The, it's like so obvious it's his dad. And when he's younger, he's yeah. like, yeah, I can see it, sort of. But when he's older, it's like, oh, that's definitely him. Fucking, that's the same person. I Googled him and I was like, Oh, he's got a bit of a weird face. I vaguely <laughs> remember him from Chinatown. Bear in mind, I'd seen Chinatown like the day before, so I shouldn't remember <laughs> Sure, him. sure. And it was like, Chris McGlover's dad. I'm like, well, that makes all the sense in the world. Mm. But yeah, he's, whenever I say like Jake and his associates, which I will do in the in the, in the pitch, mm. assume uh, Lawrence and Duffy are there as well, along with Jake. Got it. That makes sense. That makes complete and sense. And he'll have a like, um, again, basically uncredited uh, Sophie, his secretary, Yes, is a play by an actress called Nandu Hines, Nandu Hines, mm-hmm. who basically did that and then disappeared off the face of the earth and became yeah. a real estate agent. I think that's the film industry um, sometimes. Yeah, so she's going to be briefly in this film as well, but whether she would come back or not, I don't I know. It's not an like essential part, but she's so in character. She'll when, be... when in the first film he says, uh, uh, "Selfie, honey, go go for a walk, go go for her, take a smoke break or something," and she's like, "Okay." And just keeps going and then turns into a real estate agent. Never <laughs> she character. never came back. She was the best actor we've ever yeah. seen. We just didn't realize or appreciate. So yeah, uh, some of the background characters in the first one will return in and around Jake's office and all that kind of stuff. So Makes sense. Just, give, just giving them a quick shout out before anybody says, oh, who's playing blah, blah, blah. There you go. That, assume, assume, they're re- assume they're returning cast from Chinatown Got if it. I haven't already mentioned them by name. The new cast, fairly small, returning cast, yeah, reasonable. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll uh, get into it then, shall we? We don't open on a dark alley in New York, unfortunately, because this, 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 this film is set in LA. There's no vampires. There's no Spider-Man. The, yeah, there's no. It's a very different kind of like geographical structure to that city. It's not yeah. quite the same as having uh, vampires or turtles in the in the alleyways, mm. unfortunately. Instead, we open with a classic noir kind of credits over a scene. 
I was thinking almost like the the intro to uh, Watchmen, not to reference a Zack Snyder film. But Interesting. There's there's like a song playing over the top, and you've got kind of like footage of stuff going on, and the dialogue is kind of fading in and out. And there's the the Chinatown theme, that sexy jazzy trumpet yeah, number yeah. coming in and out while we're kind of seeing what Jake has been up to. I imagine if you Google the opening for Black Dahlia, also by yes, um, a perfect example. Thank Brian you very Palmer. much, Black Dahlia. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so. The opening credits begin with an appropriately jazzy piece, as I said, the, the Chinatown intro music playing in the mm-hmm. background as we see Jake Gittis testifying in court, very much like how he does in The Two Jakes, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's working another infidelity case and is confirming that the wire recording that is being played in court is real and genuine, again, like The Two Jakes. The recording confirms that Mr. Berman's suspicions are correct. His wife has been having an affair with her director. Mrs. Berman bursts into tears and screams at her husband who is completely deflated with his lawyer patting him on the back. We cut to the husband posing for a photo with Jake and his lawyer in front of the courthouse. Even with his renewed success and first headline case in a few years, Jake looks tired and wearily grins through the photo process for the newspaper as the camera flash fades to white to reveal the title of the film, Return to Chinatown. So far, so straight like away, it. he's not golfing or wearing <laughs> sunglasses. Mm. He's older, he's weary. It's, it's Jake. It's nice Not to bring Jack. it back to the man as well as the city because of like LA Confidential stuff. It's like it tells you a huge scene about everything, whereas it's just like the man's back, hard times. I get it. Yeah, yep. even though good times, hard times. Yeah. The next morning, Lawrence, one of Jake's associates, walks into Jake's office and throws the newspaper on his desk, congratulating him on another successful case. Jake is barely awake, leaning back on his chair and his feet up on the desk next to a half-drunk glass of scotch. Despite it being 9am. Again, very much two Jakes and... Noir Chinatown. detective. Yeah, kind of like it. Yeah. Except he's not as successful. <laughs> We're not in a penthouse with fucking earthquakes. Exactly. Um, the newspaper hit in the desk stirs Jake from his nap and he sits straight up. Lawrence asks him what's next after one of his highest profile cases ever. Jake shrugs. The last few years of slow business combined with the loss of Evelyn has clearly aged him more than the 11 years since her death. I've, I've turned <laughs> That's it That's a reference. <laughs> <laughs> Jake tells Sophie his secretary, to cancel his morning meetings as he's heading out for a walk, lighting a cigarette as he leaves. Assume he's smoking at all times, because <laughs> that's past. what Jake does. Yeah. Yeah. I do mention it a few times on the pitch. If it's not mentioned, he's already smoking, because <laughs> Jake Gittis just chain smokes that entire yep. fucking movie. Lighters are important, mm-hmm. like nobody's business in that movie. Oh, matches, thank you very much. There's a lot of matches going on in the that's first That's also one. important, yeah. 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 And it's the 80s, so it's not got to the point where, like... It's not controversial. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, I can get away with lots of smoking, despite the fact my adversity to actual smoking. Yeah. It's like you can't not have. Jake it's the other classic sequences. Look back. Are, are we giving all these people cancer? It's like, <laughs> I mean, Jack Nicholson smoked a fair few. He's fine. He smokes cigars like a motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now in her twenties, Catherine Cross is preparing to leave for work. Her fiance Joe is lazing around on their couch reading a newspaper. They argue about how it's a man's job to provide for his family, but it's Catherine who's the one earning money for their household. Through the escalating argument, we learn that Joe is a World War II veteran who is suffering from undiagnosed PTSD and hiding it under a masculine facade. Catherine says that she worked during the War too, and he's not the only one with problems. I like that. Uh, she needs a strong man to protect her and storms out to go to work, leaving Joe stewing in his anger. As Catherine leaves, a car pulls away and begins following her at a distance. Yeah, I, li- I like the whole like toxic masculinity stuff even being addressed here. And they're like, you know, they're sort of like, and again, in the eighties, you would have started to get the rise now of like, hey, hey, women did stuff. <laughs> as, as awful as that sounds, contemporarily speaking, um, yep. you start to see it reflected in the cinema. Um, There's quite a few that that kind of theme will be explored for good, sure. Good, good. Jake walks through the streets of Los Angeles. 
giving the audience an idea of how LA has changed in the 11 years since we last saw him. Real estate agencies have sprung up, GIs are preparing to go home after the Second World War, and new highways are being built around the city. Post-war unemployment is at a high, and Jake shows his distaste for a homeless man, who's actually a similar age to Jake, who begs for change. This is Los Angeles transforming into the LA we know in the modern era, and it's leaving Jake and his world behind. Mm. Jake lights another cigarette! <laughs> of course he does! And pauses, seeing a theatre showing the film noir, The Unfaithful. He smiles... Is, that's a real film noir that is, came yeah. out in 47, so... Yep. Yep. He smiles before a man asks him, Are you Jake Giddies? I don't know if he talks like that, I've just decided he does. <laughs> nope, he doesn't, but carry on. Are you we're Jake... In, we're back in New York, apparently, Matthew. Are you Jake Giddies? <laughs> Jake begins to turn to answer before being struck across the face by something, dropping him to the floor. It's one of those classic sort of sock things they have, the little fucking... <laughs> oh, the, the pool balls in a sock kind of thing. Yeah. Or a bunch of... Is it nickels or dimes in a sock? Something like maybe. Prison Batteries. weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, to be fair, a 1940s battery would fucking take your head off. Um, <clears throat> like a car battery. Mm. The man take kicks Jake while he's down, his speech muffled as the camera stays with Jake on the ground. The man flees as a woman screams, finding Jake beaten and bloody on the street. Jake, half-conscious has flashbacks to the woman screaming at Evelyn's body at the end of the first film. I like it. There's a, there's a lot of crazy screaming at the end of China. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there is. I mean, it, they kind of bring it a little bit back in, in Two Jakes, but this feels, feels good. Joe heads to the port of LA looking for work. He speaks to a foreman who talks about how unreliable the Chinese and women have been over the last few years, and how he could do with a tough guy like Joe. There's a real man like Patrick Bloody Swayze. Mm. <laughs> Joe talks about his experience serving and how different his city is now to when he left for Europe a few years ago. The nearby banging of metal on metal by a nearby worker briefly mimics gunfire and begins resonating in Joe's head. Oh, okay. Similar to Jake's you, you brought up PTSD earlier, Matt, when we were chatting. Yes, yes. Weird. <laughs> you brought it up. Oh, yeah, there you yeah. go. Similar to Jake's experience in the previous scene, Joe's hearing is overtaken by the sound and he leaves the port, with the foreman still shouting after him. As Joe stumbles away, trying to recover from a post-traumatic panic attack, we see a man tailing him. It's so weird that you brought up PTSD. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh! <laughs> How did you know? Yep. Time traveller. Jake wakes up in hospital after his attack. So, he doesn't get exploded <laughs> and then wake up in his Boom! office like two, two minutes later. He gets the shit beaten out of him and he's a man in his 50s. Yeah. So it matters, all right? Well, he's like late 40s at this point, but still, it matters. He seems to fucking brush everything off he does. in the second Although, film it, for yeah, no the, reason. In, in the first film, he's got a giant fucking thing on his nose the whole time. Despite yep. the and then he has a bag. I assume, this is one thing I don't know about two jokes, I assume he's got a big fat fucking scar in his nose, right? It's never mentioned in the second one. No, they really, they really in, don't talk about. Mm, like... In this one, he's got a scar in his face, right? Surely. Yes, absolutely. Good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. I want to. He's, wanna, he's, he's some right. kind of Brian De Palma scar face man. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I got that eating pussy. Well, you look like some kind of scar face. <laughs> why we always go to New York? I don't know why. America. <clears throat> exactly. Anyway, Jake is in hospital after his attack. His associates Lawrence and Duffy are by his bedside as Captain Escobar enters the room. Escobar teases Jake about having a lot of enemies before asking him who he thinks his attacker could be. Jake lists off Mulville, which is the thug guy we mentioned yes. with the man and the knife and all that kind of stuff who cuts his nose in the first film, as well as a few women's husbands who probably want his ass kicked because <laughs> Jack is going to Jack even mm -hmm. when he's Jake. He explains that he was hit with a tool, a wrench or a crowbar or something like that. The doctor says that Jake is lucky to be alive and needs to take it easy, as Lawrence lights another cigarette for him. Because <laughs> smoking in a hospital in the 40s is Normal. fine. 
A few days later, Jake is bruised and beaten up, but back in the office. Classic. So he's not ten, 10 minutes later. It takes him a yeah. while to recover. Against his doctor's <laughs> wishes, obviously. Hmm. Um, Sophie is going through his calls while he was in hospital, and Jake picks out one about a potential stalker. His associates joke about them following someone who's following someone else and suggest it could be a fun, low-stakes case. Sophie is asked to call the person back and arrange a meeting. Cut to Joe sat in Jake's office, telling him about how he and his wife-to-be appear to have a stalker. Jake, I mean, it's Patrick Swayze. Who's not going to fucking follow him? Exactly. Who, um, who could blame him? 1985, Patrick yeah. Swayze. Jake begins prying about Joe's job, his relationship with his fiance to ensure he's faithful, etc., but Joe is excellent at deflecting and exchanges a few war stories with Jake since they both served in, in world wars. Usually, Jake would insist on more information, but his head hurts, so he tells Joe they'll take the job and work things out as they go. Catherine returns from work. Joe is in a much better mood. He lies to her, saying that he went down to the docks and got a job. Catherine is ecstatic, throwing her arms around the man she fell in love with. Joe says mm. he'll be able to look after her from now on and they can start planning their wedding and family. Catherine grabs a magazine off the counter and props it up in the corner of the kitchen on a wedding photography spread as she starts cooking dinner. Unknown to them both, a car pulls up outside their house and waits patiently. A wedding photography spread. Jack, are you getting married at some point soon? That's <laughs> <laughs> something I have intimate knowledge about, funnily enough. <laughs> Thanks to previously featured Emma, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who, who has appeared on the show before, mm. who happens to also be my fiance and addicted to wedding magazines, <laughs> yeah. because that's a thing. Um, but yeah, I did make sure that wedding magazines existed in the forties in America before. I just, you know, they, no, that is an actual a, thing. I was like, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. There's like people, there is like People magazine and Life magazine and a few other ones. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Classic. 40s housewifey kitcheny kind of sure. deal yeah all that kind of stuff a bit of a one division if if you want <laughs> sure <laughs> it's what Paul the kids Bettany, these days understand Paul Bettany flies in and cuts them all in half with a laser beam <laughs> the end in the following days Jake's associates visit the docks and the area near Joe's house they begin tailing Joe and Catherine's alleged stalker they tell Jake who's half listening that the stalker returns to the same address each night and pass him a matchbook with the address written on it it's an address in Northern Broadway. Jake washes down some medication with whiskey as he leans forward to read it. Jake sighs, rubs his eyes with his thumb and forefinger and confirms their suspicion. It's in goddamn Chinatown. Goddamn Chinatown. I should have called it goddamn, goddamn Chinatown. Written <laughs> by Frank Miller. <laughs> <laughs> it's the all-star Jake Gettys. Goddamn Batman. Forget it, Jake. It's goddamn Chinatown. Okay. Jake, back on the streets for the first time since his attack, is walking through Chinatown looking for the address. He holds the matchbook up to a sign which matches the address and cautiously approaches. You like my match pun there, Matthew? Uh, I don't know that was a pun. I'm so, gl <laughs> I'm so glad you wrote that. the thing I tripped over when it match matches. Well, it's a matchbook and it matches. That's a pun. And you wrote and you read it. You said it. <laughs> hey, 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 you. hey, I'm a professional. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> He'll read whatever we write down. It's so weird. <laughs> Jake knocks, and a stern-looking Chinese woman answers the door, speaking Mandarin. Jake rambles about why he's there, mentioning Joe's name, and is ignored until he introduces himself. The name Gitties clearly resonates with her, and she switches to English, asking him to come in. Jake relaxes to his uh, still-guarded attitude and follows her inside. And he says, turn around, put your ass in the air, <laughs> don't move until I tell you to. <laughs> Ugh, well, oh, it makes my skin crawl every time. Which is heightened with his performance in The Departed, which is 
Now you get down there, put your ass in the air, don't move till you're numb. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Fucking hell. Julienne switches back to her native language as she enters an office and introduces Mr. Gitters. Khan, Evelyn's former butler, looks up from his desk and greets Jake. Not living in a weird coastside <laughs> Hindu, no, not Hindu, like Buddhist shrine. It's real weird, that second one. Because yeah. I kind of forgot, but in, in the first Chinatown, where they have the whole, my daughter, my sister, mm-hmm. my daughter, my sister, that's Khan's house. Yeah. Because they're yep. talking, and he has this really nice house, and then he's just some weird... Go back upstairs. Yeah. Buddhist monk, yeah. Go back upstairs, and then he's a weird Buddhist like monk dude yeah. in the second one. He's like Jake's spiritual advisor yeah. for some reason. It's weird. It's yep. weird. Uh, the implication here is that he's no longer a butler. He's moved on and kind of started his own business. Um, it would probably be you know like a restaurant in Chinatown or something like that. And he's kind of managing it. And this is his office there. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's not a weird Buddhist monk dude yes. for some reason. Weird Jake doesn't go to a racist. Buddhist temple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Khan looks up from his desk and greets Jake. Jake sits, recognizing Khan and lighting a cigarette. Of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jake asks. Maybe we should have a drinking every yeah. time Jake lights a cigarette, <laughs> and people will die. Jake asks Khan what he wants and why he's involved with this case. Khan says he's always wanted what was best for Catherine, and he's trying to do right by Evelyn, in spite of her father and in spite of men like Jake. Jake takes offence to this and stands up to confront Khan before Julienne twists Jake's arm into a wrist lock, pinning him to the desk. We get some martial arts in there from oh, good. Cheng Pei because she's a badass. There's a lot of martial arts this season. All my pitches have had martial arts in several. That's weird. Shit. Almost like it's leading <laughs> up to something. Oh. oh. Some kind of fatal confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> Jake tries to explain he had no idea Catherine is involved until now. That he was hired by an Irish kid named Joe. Julienne releases her grip and Khan begins to tell Jake what happened to Catherine following her mother's death. In flashback sequences, we see Jake confronting Evelyn in the house, the unfortunate daughter, sister, daughter, Mm -hmm. sister, but I don't overplay that like the first film did. Her letter to Jake and Catherine being whisked away by Noah Cross at the end of the film. There's a little uh, cameo by John Huston coming up. Uh Khan explains that she was raised by Cross, and we see little glimpses of her as a teenager and him kind of uh, talking to her and stuff. But it's all voiced over by James Hong. Sure. And has blamed Jake for her mother's death ever since. And this is an interesting point I want to get to because mm-hmm. it was actually a video essay I was watching about the first film okay. where Jake, the fact that Jake wants to move her rather than going with her plan is actually what gets her killed. Yes. Mm. I thought, that's a very interesting way of reading that's it. A, yeah. I'm, I'm going to run with that and it's kind of Jake's fault. I would definitely so, do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Because it I hadn't really occurred to me that it had worked out that way and it's actually Jake's mistake and Jake's plan that fucks everything and gets mm-hmm. her killed. That's what I'm kind of running with here, and this is what Khan is explaining. They're like, mm, mm. yeah, Cross and Catherine know about this, and that's how Cross has spun it. Whether it's right or wrong, she doesn't know, but that's how Cross, her father-slash-grandfather, has kind of spun it for her over the years. Khan has been keeping an eye on her for the last decade or so, making sure that Cross never hurt her in the way he hurt Evelyn. For the first time, Catherine has found a boyfriend, is settling down, and appears genuinely happy. Wouldn't you be? It's 1985 Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Jake is heartbroken, but explains that Joe, and possibly Catherine too, worked out that someone has been following them. Khan and Jake agree that it's time everyone comes together and faces the truth. Jake uses Khan's phone to arrange a meeting with Joe later that evening. Jake and Khan arrive at Joe's house with Catherine nowhere in sight. Joe is cautious, and while he doesn't seem to recognise his fiancé's former butler, he's clearly surprised to see that his stalker 
is an old Chinese man. Khan begins to explain who he is and why he's been keeping tabs on Catherine. Joe cuts him off and things quickly get heated as he explains that he's protecting Catherine now and there's no need for Khan or Jake to try to help them. Joe draws a gun and aims at both of them and says, suck it! <laughs> suck it until you piss your pants! <laughs> Explain that he wanted Jake to get rid of Khan, not get him more involved in his business. While the three men are arguing, they don't hear Catherine arrive home from work. Catherine walks in to see her fiancé waving a handgun at two men in their living room and screams at him, asking what's going on. Joe quickly lowers the gun and his facade and tries to comfort Catherine. As Jake and Khan turn around, Catherine recognises them both from her childhood and begins shouting at Joe again, asking why these men are in her house. Joe explains that he's trying to make things right for Catherine and her mother. Jake is responsible for her death, and Joe has been trying to do the right thing. Jake tries to calm Joe down, but Joe tells him that he should have finished the job, alluding to Jake's earlier assault. Jake clocks on and tries to wrestle the gun away from Joe, but the younger man is able to fire a few shots, all closely missing Jake's ear, and one grazes Khan's arm. The sound of the gun next to Jake's ears deafens him, and Joe pistol whips him to the floor. Again, playing on the PTSD stuff there as well. Yeah, yeah. Joe goes to finish Jake off, but Catherine stops him, saying that she never wanted revenge, and Joe has now taken it upon himself. Joe and Catherine argue with Joe trying to justify that he's been doing this all for her. While their argument continues, Khan realises that Jake is gasping for air on the floor and crawls over to him, desperately trying to tell the couple that he thinks Jake is having a heart attack. A few moments later, we see an ambulance and a police car parked outside the house. Everything's quiet now. Khan is brought out on a stretcher, still alive obviously, but wounded. Joe is taken out in handcuffs, and Catherine is being comforted by a paramedic on the front porch. Jake's associates arrive as Captain Escobar comes out of the house, shaking his head solemnly. Lawrence once again gets the last line with a simple, God damn it, Jake kiddies. Fade to smoky trumpet noise. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I do. It's, it's very different. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah. no, 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 no. It, it, I, I, you've taken to, a lot the of the, the, the emotional scenes in Chinatown and yes. progressed them naturally. Um, I think that's really solid. I have really only really one criticism. And I, things like anything in here, I, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting choice. I keep thinking to myself, De Palma can do that. That will work yeah, well. That, I, I did lean on De Palma. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's why you get the director. Face. I'm sure yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> that's why you get the director involved. I think he, if, if I was to break down what happens in Untouchables, it's always like, eh. I, mean, I, 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 I yeah. adore Untouchables. I think it's fantastic. But, but he but makes it greater than the sum of its parts. Right? Precisely. I think, yes, I think he, yeah, he has a way to... Yeah. That was my thinking. And yeah. that's fine. I have only one... I don't think it's complaint. It, it's, mm. it's something that... To be fair, if you'd inject it in, would have eaten so much of the word count, but it kind of needs to be in here, in my opinion. Uh, that's tits and ass. Mm. No, no. Um, <laughs> no. What needs to be in more here? More uncomfortable sexy. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is the fact that there are two parts to Chinatown. Chinatown mm. is as much a story of a, 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 a private eye going around and sleuthing this personal story and uncovering the mystery and it's being convoluted and the mystery within the mystery, but it's also a story of LA. It's also a story about corruption and scandal and stuff like that. And I think you need a subplot in here about something else. 
Something that mm. is almost unrelated that becomes related I, at the end. I genuinely thought about that, and mm. I thought I'm getting a bit wordy here. It's about it, that's the thing. I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. So to put it in perspective, folks, that pitch is about 1,900 words, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, we usually aim for around sort of you know 1,500 to 2,000 words as our typical we kind rarely of pitch. Do. <laughs> um, you know, we often miss the mark. We try. I went, we try. I've I've been certainly long a few times, and obviously your Harry Potter epic, the Hogwarts <laughs> epic, went slightly longer. A little bit. Um, but yeah, I generally did think about having a subplot, and I'm, I was kind of thinking like, this is so focused on the A plot the whole time. Mm. I would quite like maybe I really like Escobar. I would be tempted to have something with Escobar mm. in there and having be a slightly bigger part of the plot. But do, do you guys have any ideas about what that well, that B plot could be? I, I think weirdly my enough, thinking for the the character of LA mm. in that I'm very much focusing on the post war stuff. Mm. Yes, I've obviously noticed I referenced that. Mm. Joe is a veteran. He's he served in the Second World War. Jake is a veteran of the First World War, and LA was quite dramatically changed in terms of its economy post-war, yeah. with a lot of women obviously going to the workforce. They're working in mm. like aviation engineering and all this kind of stuff, and that that goes unsaid. But Catherine is still working in the factory she should she would sure. have worked at from World War Two and all that kind of stuff. And I have a simple a simple sure. fix, I think, please, which ties everything in, even the opening court case, possibly. You make it narcotics. Um, mm. You make it about drugs. You make people come back from what... This is actually... Uh, speaking of Jack and Which video is a thing, by the way. L.A. Noir. L.A. Noir. Ah, you, it was a big mm, influence for me. There yeah. You, you take it about the idea that people coming back from war, morphine addicts kind of thing, and the idea yep. that you have... Because you had the vice, you had... You had sorry, vice, arson... Traffic. Uh, traffic. Like the, the road crew. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, narcotics and, and cri- yeah. uh, murder division, that kind of thing. It, it was all in there. Homicide. homicide, 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 homicide yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, and I was like, murder? The murder division. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to L- be part of the murder division. Yeah. That's cool. LA Confidential does it as well. There's like some things that are more yes. attractive because they get you contracts to be closer to the stars. Other things like, I'm not touching that one. So um, doing a narcotics thing on Vice would be very, very interesting because it's more glamorous if you're going to get into the the opening act with the Hollywood star sort of thing with with the um uh the Bermans the infidelity case yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and that could link into this whole thing and even the stuff with the docks with Joe that could even be tied in slightly and there could be the Catherine running and through the docks yeah and stuff Catherine like that has her own dealership yeah. as it were because not dealership sorry has her own supply because of the fact that she is still getting over some really monstrous memories mm. and Joe could be doing the right thing and he could be inadvertently doing a bit of um a kind of arsenic and old lace kind of thing he could be poisoning her with drugs to keep her calm if you want to keep the whole suppression of women kind of yeah, thing going. Yeah, um, Trying to self-medicate like, yeah, her like PTSD during the war, and kind of thing, yeah, yeah. We all did some awful stuff, but morphine kept me calm and it kept, it sent a lot of boys off in the way. So if we... Interesting. Uh, drip, yeah, drip, yeah. drip feeding you, that he's more of a, I did this for us, did this for you. I think there's things you could do that, but the, the word count would be so big. But in terms of a noir film, you need that kind of thing in there as well. Mm. It's the whole, like, yeah, the city sense. is bigger than anyone and this isn't going to be solved by one man. But the emotional yep. story is what goes through it. So I think you could do that quite neatly. It would be. It seems like it's a big change, but it's a small one in 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 terms of it's already in the plot. You could already yeah. wheel that in quite neatly. Yeah. yeah, I think. In my opinion, I, I think the fundamental change here and the thing that works really well is that Jake Gittes is fucked up and traumatized by what he's been yes. through. He's not this smiling kind of. Like, he's not Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah. Like, <laughs> as we mentioned a few It's times Jack before. Nicholson playing a role rather than just being himself. Exactly. Um, that was exactly my plan. Yeah. yeah. And I, I agree with Mac. Um, I think it, it could do with a few more just kind of twists and turns. Um, and I think you also, De Palma being De Palma, having him dig into, like, ah, private eyes, following people around, spying on people. 
perverts. Um, yeah. That kind of stuff. And some sexy stuff. Uh, some voyeurism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Needs more drugs than sex. I get you. I know my audience here. Okay, I understand. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I think drugs drugs would work. I think um, potentially the other thing that you could maybe get into is kind of like labor issues, union stuff, and maybe and maybe yeah. link so, uh, that into mm. the kind of. Uh, the racism and kind of like Chinese work, like actually yeah. kind of oh, yeah. make it's more almost practically slavery, but kind of shit. Yeah. Make more of the kind of actual Chinatown, and I like that you actually like. It's not just the final scene is in Chinatown. Like you actually go there and like it's forcing Jake to confront that part of himself again. That's kind of already in the original Chinatown. It's like he has that kind of um, not necessarily trauma, but like. That clearly weighs he, on. He, oh him. yeah, he already he's, has memories tied yeah, to it, and, and they're then, not positive memories. And then mm-hmm. he's got another load of you know awfulness layered on top of that now. So yeah, and, and but yeah, no, I think that, I think emotionally, like I think this, I, I really like the casting. I think De Palma's a fantastic choice. I think yeah, it just needs a it needs a little bit more detecting and a little bit more mm. L.A. And so uh, yeah, so much of that's noir is like the crimes often end up being really. They're either really salacious or they're really dull, and they're about. And, and Chinatown <laughs> manages to be both because it's like, oh, it's a yes. story about like childhood sexual abuse and incest and stuff like that, but it's also about water. Yeah, very much so. It's a weird thing to acknowledge. Like, wait, the film's about water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the, the theme obviously they talk about the oil in the second mm. one, and there was a plan to do some. I can't uh, remember what the third like one was. Land or freeways or possibly both. Yes, yeah, because they were yeah, doing yeah. Earth sea water yeah, it's like, like the, um, the elements and all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah and it's through, like fi- finite resources kind of thing yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah uh so yeah i think the once i hooked on to the fact when i was watching the two jakes i was annoyed that jake is just like oh I'm on top of the world yeah. everything's fine like didn't the the woman you were sort of falling in love with after being an adulterer your entire life <laughs> die in front of you because of you? Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, fiddly dee, everything's fine. <laughs> I wanted that. And the fact you both have said, like, the emotional core there is, is very much what I focused mm. on. And I think adding your elements there would help kind of build that out and make it more of a complete story rather than... Because this is so focused on... I guess, obviously, toxic masculinity is a thing I'm discussing. Mm. PTSD is obviously yes. something I'm discussing. Uh, like the, a woman's position in this post-war world and kind of post-war America and LA mm. in general is obviously something I wanted to talk about. And that is very much influenced, as Matt correctly guessed, by L.A. Noir. I fucking <laughs> love that game. <laughs> and the main character, Cole Phelps, yeah. is a former Marine who comes back to um, America mm goes into the police force and there's as you said layers of corruption and bullshit and he gets framed for stuff and then he's adultering and his marriage crumbles and blah 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 blah. and and also la confidential which is my other kind of reference point Mm. for 40s la so yeah that kind of makes sense and it's the the Um, thing of like there's so much going on at that time i'm mm. sure if you like dig into the real world history a bit like Chinatown is based I, I, on like real stuff that happened, you know. There, sure. there yes, would be... yeah. Uh, Hollis Mulray is based on a real water tycoon guy yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Uh, oddly enough, I I did do that very briefly in the intro mm. scene. Mm. That is uh, a hint at Ingrid Bergman and her um, uh, affair with the director Rossellini. And yes. the, the 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 she's Swedish actress, mm. yeah, um, yeah. and then. She's kind of like one of the iconic noir actresses of of mm. the era. So that I, and then I used I saw Bergman and then I saw 
Berman. Like, that's, too, <laughs> that's too funny to put in. So that's kind of hinting at her leaving her husband for the Italian director that she did in real life and that kind of like tying into real world history and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, there could be something there where I was looking at like what happened in Chinatown in like 1947, 1948, what real world thing could I tie it into? And there's just not that much information out there with the, mm. with, with like google and wikipedia mm. and stuff I was like unless i really go digging around and spend hours and hours researching that i mean stuff. because they're think, all kind of in the hollywood scene at the time they might know something mm, so sure. just to see mention stuff but even then yeah. for legal court cases you wouldn't say oh this is based on this yeah to be like the quiet yeah. unspoken truth like we all know who you're talking about yes yeah exactly and there's always like consolidated character we mm. talk about this all the time like mm. The original version in the book has these two characters, and then in a film you get a mashup of the two. Who's the, yeah. the big thug or whatever? And like the Mulville, for example, is a famous combination of a couple of like infamous mafia thug type guys yeah. from from the 30s in in LA and stuff like that. So hmm. yeah, yeah cool. in, okay. In um, the original Chinatown, they kind of take the real world figure and sort of break him in half almost, so yes. that he's you've yeah. got the kind of engineer. Uh, Mole Ray, who's like the the guy who's trying to do the right thing and is the architect of the water system. And then you've got Cross, who's like, I'm just making money off of it. And also, I'm a terrible person. Um, yeah. And the, the real-life figure was kind of both of those. A bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. must split him into his good and evil sides, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, I think it was a, it was a very big challenge, because you're right, how the fuck do you do a sequel to Chinatown? And the, obviously... The answer is you don't. Yes. Yeah. But I think you did but a I, good job. Yeah, I liked it. And Making again, I Jake don't think this needs a sequel. and weary and well, I kill off Jake at the end. So yeah. good luck. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think you'd have like <laughs> Jake's son comes back to try and solve the case. Like, oh, he doesn't have a son. It turns exactly. out he did. It's like oh for fuck's sake. Oh god, yeah. Can you imagine? There would be like Gittis Junior is the third one, and it's made like Spike in <laughs> style in like 1997. Yeah, and it's like hey, he's a private detective in the 60s, like. He's a noir kid detective. <laughs> I'd make him a hard-boiled cop like Popeye in the 70s. Ooh, uh, sorry, Popeye nice. being the character played by Gene Hackman, not... See, no, I'd go full, uh, um, full Jake Jr., a Chinatown adventure. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Like, like a young Sherlock. He's solving, yeah. solving a case of like a missing dog. That sounds like a fucking mid-90s thing if I've ever heard one. And, yeah. and also yeah. 18 pounds of Colombian cocaine. <laughs> Everyone says, hey, Gits, it's Giddies. <laughs> it's Giddies. Okay. Solid, solid fix, man. Yeah. I like it. Thank you. It was, yeah. It was, like I said, it was a pretty challenging one for me going in. Yeah, yeah. As I, of a I couple of weeks ago, having not seen either yeah, film. I don't envy you of having the job of having to be like, okay. <laughs> if this... I had to deal with this one, it would have been a 4,000 word pitch. Yeah. Because I would not have been able to stop myself injecting so much noirism. It's like, well, you have to have at least seven different plots and, going yeah. on. And I clearly, I was so conscious of the word count, obviously, went yeah. the other way yeah. and was like, it's not quite noir enough. <laughs> like, implied noirisms yeah. from De Palma will yeah, be fine. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I think I think I didn't quite find that balance there, but I think with mm. w what you've suggested, mm. we can certainly get I something so. that that does justice to the original. Yes, but like like Matt said earlier, like the guy who wrote Chinatown and won Oscars for it couldn't make a good <laughs> sequel to Chinatown, and you yeah, certainly yeah. improve yeah. on some of the aspects that he, as we so. said, like just don't work in the two Jakes. Confirmed, I'm better than Robert. Now. There you go. <laughs> Give me your Oscar, Oscar you piece of for shit. Jack. Where are my Oscars? We should have done about Oscars by now. <laughs> Jack's gonna be Jack, you know. Oscars and MTV movie awards. Yeah. 
Yeah. I want to take some Nickelodeon kids' choice as well. Golden popcorn. <laughs> it looks yeah, so painful. A weird fucking trophy. Anyway, if you guys want to discuss my Return to Chinatown, my 1995 sequel to the classic, if you're a huge Chinatown fan, I'm sure we have some huge Chinatown fans in the community out there. Certainly the let us know. appreciatives of it all. Mm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, let us know on social media. We are sequelizers on absolutely everything. It's nice and easy. And uh, if you want to find us on all the social medias, all the podcast platforms, you want to find our merch store, or if you want to join our Discord, where there is post-episode discussions, including feedback from us about what we what we thought about the episode as well, and you want to contact us directly, it's all on the website, sequelizers.com. There's links for absolutely everything you could possibly possibly want to do with sequelizers mm. if you want to follow me and discuss why i can't write noir films you can go to <laughs> jlw chambers on twitter instagram facebook all that good stuff and hit me up there matt how can they find you on the internet stogs s-t-o-g-h-z um you can read my reviews at the raid right hand you can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I've made. Uh, there have been a few reviews at the Red Right Hand Record, okay, by the way, and uh, because of various bits and pieces. And also, yeah. as I said, I did do my yearly rundown of the best stuff from last year, which was a lot of stuff, actually, based on UK release dates. A lot of stuff that surprised me as well. Stuff mm. I'd forgotten that had come out this year or yeah. didn't know actually came out at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right. yeah, that exists. Oh, it came out this year. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim, if I was to strike a match and put it towards your face and say, give me the, give me the, the skinny on the sitch... <laughs> where, where would you be? <laughs> God, that's a weak one. <laughs> okay, I got a better one. Tim, where were you on the night of the fourth? <laughs> I was at Trivia Lad, Trivia underscore Lad on Twitter. That's where you can find uh, me and anything that I'm particularly up to, or just uh, rambling nonsense about X Men comics or uh, sandwiches that I'm eating. That's the two topics you always discuss. Exactly. It's weird. It's salami, it's pastrami, it's salami, it's pastrami, it's salami <laughs> and pastrami. <laughs> it's a good sandwich. But yes, uh, you can uh, check out our Discord, as Jack said. Check out our Patreon. Rate and review us on your podcast app or service of choice. Uh, we deeply appreciate that. So yeah, that brings us to the close of the episode. Nice work, Jack. Thank you. Hmm, I agree. I'll venture into LA for this episode. We're going off somewhere much further than LA next time. It'll tease for next episode for you listeners. And yet somehow connected. Mmm, there's a little tease for you. And that uh, was my plan all along, because I'm sneaky. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. 